Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Colossians chapter 4, the book of Colossians chapter 4. We continue our study here. And you remember how last week, how there was the, uh, uh, in the end of the chapter, there was the exhortation for wives and husbands and children and fathers and bondservants, uh, much like our study in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. Uh, but at the same time, we start here in Colossians 4 in continuation. It's for masters. Now, understand that we live in a time where, you know, it's not a, 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 the master-slave relations aren't like they were in the past, uh, like centuries ago, millennia ago. But we do have employer-employee relationships, employee-employer uh, relations. And here the masters is kurios in the Greek, kurios, which is an authority figure or like a boss or employer. Now, it's not just the employee who works as unto the Lord. It is also the employer who works as unto the Lord, the boss, the manager, the director, the whoever who is su the superior uh, authority in a business situation or in a, you know, in a, in, in, in a, uh, like in a work situation where you do have the employee employer situation, uh, that type of framework. Now, Understand, you know, just because somebody's a boss or a supervisor or a manager, that doesn't mean there's license to be a jerk. You see, now understand that in Christ, there are Christians everywhere. There are Christians who are employees. There are Christians who are uh, managers. There are Christians who are business owners. There are Christians who work in whatever industry, in whatever industry over here. Among those, there's husbands and wives and kids and all kinds of different things. Well, I meant, you know, not different things, but I meant different areas where the Lord has us. But within that framework, there is no license to be unbecoming of a Christian, to have behaviors that are unbecoming of a Christians, as Christians. And so with that understanding, we see here masters in verse one. Give your bondservants what is just and fair. And this translates as, you know, for what is just, it's right and holy. Yes, holy. You know, sometimes when, you know, when I'm talking to uh, business owners or even employees, uh, you know, to to consider work as unto the Lord in whatever segment, but to consider work as unto the Lord as holy, it is holy unto him. And that's what we see here for masters to give to bondservants what is just and fair. It is right and holy. Now, remember, we are a people of the circumcision, a circumcision not according to the flesh, but a circumcision that is uh, of the Lord. It's of the heart. And when we see that it's just and fair here in verse one, it translates the fair part. It translates as as equity and equal. What is equitable and equal? Now, there's much hullabaloo today about, you know, like, you know, oh, you know, we, we want equity in the workplace and equity over here and equity. Now, understand that the world, the world, remember, Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. The world has its brand of what it deems equitable and what the world deems as equal. But understand that as Christians, we align ourselves to the word of God. A carnal approach to a biblical matter can never happen. That's why sometimes you hear non-believers that say, well, you Christians, the Bible says you gotta do this, the Bible says you gotta do this, therefore you gotta do this. It's like, and, and a lot of times Christians can kind of get a little, um, uh, 
like a little guilt trip. Like, wow, you know, the Bible does say that. But understand who's speaking. Understand who's saying that. These, you know, when when you come across situations where, you know, somebody tries to, like we had the, the little, um, you know, the, the little word of caution from last week. Uh, be careful with the guilt trippers. People who want to guilt trip you into whatever. People who want to guilt trip you. Because you see that a lot where, you know, all, all you Christians, the Bible says you have to, you know, do X, Y, Z. Therefore, do X, Y, Z. But understand, that's a, a, a carnal vessel that's being used to convict you but it's not you have to make these distinctions it's like well wait a second you know you know like you have to make these distinctions and determinations in your heart where it's like you know i'm a christian i I believe in jesus christ i obey his word and yes the bible does say xyz but it is also written you have to be mindful of who it is that is speaking and that's why there was the word of caution from last week where, you know, is it, to, you know, be aware of the guilt trippers because that's what's happening today. You see, people who are not of the faith, not of the circumcision, when I say not of the faith, I should say not of the circumcision because remember, there are believers who believe in Jesus Christ, but without the Holy Spirit. Remember our study in, in the book of Acts, how you see Christians, they believe in Jesus Christ. And, you know, uh, uh, John and, and uh, uh, Peter and John come to town and they perceive that the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them. They knew that the Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. And then they laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them, except for one, except for one who was also in the group because of wickedness in his heart. Now you see people who believe in Jesus Christ but don't have the Spirit. And you have to make these distinctions because a lot of Christians get in trouble on account of the guilt tripper. Well, the Bible says you got to behave like this, so you got to do this. And a lot of Christians say, you know what? The Bible does say that, so therefore I'm going to do this. But you can never, ever, ever apply a take a carnal approach to a biblical matter that can never happen. But then when you have people such as Paul and Peter and James and Titus and Timothy who say, you know what, brother, you know what, sister, the Bible says X, Y, Z, and you're not exactly X, Y, Z, you're like X, Y and a half. So let's get to the, let's do the X, Y, Z. And it's, it's more of a, it's not just more loving but the formula is right in said individual like Paul, like Peter, like Titus, like Timothy, like James, like John, like all these people. Now, you have to make these distinctions because the guilt trippers, they're on the rise. They're everywhere inside the church and outside the church. It's a shame that I even have to say inside the church. But you have to make these distinctions as a Berean, as a remnant. You have to make these distinctions. Yes, it is a biblical truth. Masters, in verse 1, give your bondservants what is just and fair, but it is not in accordance to the world. It is not in accordance to the world. It is in accordance to the word of God. Knowing, knowing in verse 1, that you also have a master in heaven. You see, knowing. It shouldn't be a shock to bosses and managers and employers who are of the faith. It shouldn't be a shock to such people that you also have a master in heaven. 
You see, employers, bosses, if you're listening, if you happen to be an employer, a boss, a manager, a superior, a lead, if you happen to be in such position at your workplace, would it be good or bad for you if Jesus rendered you the same treatment that you render your employees or your staff? Would it be good for you or would it be bad for you? If Jesus Christ treated you the exact same way that you treat your staff, your employees, your team, would it be good for you or would it be bad for you? And we have to be straight up. Be honest. Because if it would be good for you, praise be unto the Lord. If it would be bad for you, if Jesus Christ treated you the exact same way you treat your employees, if it would be bad for you, you need to repent. I don't care what your paycheck is. I don't care what your salary is. You can make $500,000 a year. You can make $1.2 million a year, $1.8 million, $2.2 billion. I don't care. But if Jesus Christ treated you the exact same way that you treat your employees, and it would be bad for you if Jesus were to do that, you, I don't care what your paycheck is, you need to repent and change your ways, O oh man. You need to repent and change your ways, O oh woman. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It's very powerful because, you know, they, these are, I like, you know, the acronym for Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. This place is not our home. Understand that this place is not our home. There is a way of conduct to a man in accordance to the world, but there is a method of conduct to those of the faith. And when I say those of the faith, I really should stop saying that. Those of the circumcision. Because those of the faith, you know, somebody could believe in Jesus Christ, but you don't see obedience. Somebody might believe in Jesus Christ, but they're like a 1 Corinthians 3, you know, still milk drinkers. After 10 years, they're still drinking milk, and then you see the fruit of it in the flesh, in the works of the flesh, walking according to the flesh. Yes, they're of the faith. But do you see circumcision? Remember, there's beautiful confidence when you see circumcision. There is confidence behind the circumcision of all these promises of God being effectuated. And we have to be honest. We have to be straight up. With ourselves and with each other in the body of Christ, among the koinonia, among the ecclesia. Hegios. It's consecrated, set apart for the Lord. Not set apart to, you know, be on your yacht. Not set apart to, you know, have your mansion in Palisades and, you know, your little uh, mansion in Boca. No, it doesn't work that way. That's the ways of the world. We're not of the world, my friend. My beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, we're not of the world. We're just passing by. And I love this because these are things that Paul mentioned in Ephesians 5 and 6. Listen to our study through Ephesians 5 and 6. You'll understand because we cover certain topics about men and women, like like, uh, husbands and wives and kids and fathers in the workplace and uh, bond servants and masters. We cover these things and it's mentioned again here. Brother Paul writes these things again to the saints in Colossae. But to have this understanding as we're straight up with ourselves, as we're honest with ourselves before the Lord and before one another too. Because 
you see a lot of division in the church. Remember how, you know, we just studied the topic of, you know, clicks, clicks in churches. You see the popular kids over here, the popular guys over here, the popular ladies over here, you know, the old people over here, the nerds over here, the, the dorks over here, the computer people over here, you know, everything's segregated. But then there's also like the you know the, the the you know the the poor and the rich and then the middle class. The middle class you see everybody's in a lump, and then you see the poor people over here, and then you see the rich people over here. But that should be all non-existent. It should be, and I'm very cautious. I'm very cautious when I say Christians should or a church should. I'm very cautious because that's a work unto the Lord. That that's a work unto the Lord and a work by the Lord too. But the question is, what is your proximity to the Lord in terms of intimacy with Him? Because the more and more you yield to the Lord, yielding to the Spirit, which will help you yield to the Lord. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a helper, Pericletus, helper. He will help you. He will help me. He will help us align ourselves with the Word of God. But remember the formula. Everything has to be perfect. In, you know, formula-wise, everything has to be perfect. Now, in these earth suits that we're in, you're not going to see perfection. Where you see perfection, you're going to be dead. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that doesn't mean we give up and settle for mediocrity. That's not to say, well, you know, I got these problems with the flesh and I believe in Jesus Christ. So I guess I'm just going to deal with these problems in the flesh for the rest of my life. I guess I'm still going to do this and that and X, Y, Z and one, two, three. I guess I'm just going to do that for the rest of my life. And yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. No. You and me together, we move on to perfection. We move on to perfection. We're not perfected yet, but we move on to perfection. We have to understand these biblical truths because when we understand, it will not only help us to grow and mature together, but at the same time, it will help us endure these times. These days are evil. And it's going to get worse. And so we see here in verse uh, 2, continue earnestly in prayer. I love this because continue earnestly is to be diligent and persevere. But he says in prayer, being vigilant in it, to be watchful. It's like a military term, to be vigilant, to be on watch, to stay awake. Have you ever served guard duty in a hot zone? When you serve guard duty in a hot zone, hot zone you don't sleep. Is this, it isn't a time to slumber. I mean, if you do fall asleep, you're straight up toast. And not by the bad guys, by the good guys. It's to be vigilant. Now, I don't want to give a carnal example, but I give a carnal example just to say, give the, you know, uh, the importance of being watchful. I'm not trying to say like, you know, if you do that in Christ, then you're toast. But there are toast implications. If you're not watchful. If you're not staying awake, because remember, the enemy roams around like a lion, waiting, 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 waiting for whom he may devour. To be watchful and vigilant in prayer with thanksgiving. Remember, always thankfulness unto the Lord. Always. It's very interesting what we see here because we see this, you know, like, you know, everyone likes the warrior mindset. You know, you see people, they play their video games, you know, oh yeah, look, I'm a warrior. Look, I got this. I can fight like this. I got my, my guns like this. I got bazookas over here. I got this and it's a video games or they play like, you know, 
whatever they play, you know, but it's much deeper in application. When it comes to the faith, it's much deeper. Yes, there's the aspect of fighting like a warrior. In the faith, fighting like a warrior, to engage like a warrior. But what about to pray like a warrior? Brother Paul says here in verse 2, to be vigilant in prayer. To have vigilance in prayer. It's powerful when you, you consider, I mean, for my beautiful old brothers, old sisters, I mean, if you're over age 40, <laughs> 50, 60, 80, 90, you might be listening and you're like 95 years old, the golden years. And if you get in your mind like, wow, you know, I'm old. I can't do any for any, anything for the Lord. Scratch that. That's not a good mentality. Remember when the Lord called Moses, Moses, the Lord didn't call Moses when he was young. The Lord called Moses when he was an old guy. You see, and when Moses was like, Lord, you know, what do I do when I go to Egypt? The Lord told him, Moses, go to the old people. Go to the old people. It's so powerful because, you know, these youngsters today, the hipsters of today, you know, and I've had these conversations with the hipster pastors, which I can't stand as a little side note, but the hipster pastors, you know, oh yeah, these old churches, they're, uh, they're, they're dying. A bunch of, you know, white hair, a sea of white hair, and these churches are dying. And, you know, a, 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 a hipster pastor will have his skinny jeans, his, you know, highlighted hair, and even speak, be a guest speaker to an old church. And I want to say old church, I mean a church full of old people. And say to them, this church is dying because there's no youngsters here. There's no like middle-aged people, no 20-year-olds, no teenagers here. So your church is dying. Now, if you're old, you know, over age 40, <laughs> like, you know, age 98, you know, maybe you're in the three digits, 102, 103. Don't be discouraged. You hear some hipster pastor say that to you? No, that's garbage talk. The Lord calls old people. The Lord calls young people. He call, He looks at the heart. He doesn't care about your white hair, your wrinkles. He looks at the heart. And it's so beautiful when you see the Lord work in young people, old people, middle-aged, male, female. I don't care. Remember, pastors, elders, always male. Aside from that, remember, in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, popular, nerd, you know, computer guy, you know, sports guy. It's non-existent or gal, non-existent. He's no respecter of persons. And this warrior mindset, this warrior mentality, it's not just like, wow, you know, I'm going to go on the street corner and preach the gospel. I'm going to do this. And, you know, all the we get this idea in our head, like, I got to do this. I got to do that. Well, what about being vigilant, being vigilant in prayer? You could be 120, can barely even move in a wheelchair, bedridden. You can be a mighty warrior at the same time. Why? Because you're vigilant in prayer. The hipster pastors with the skinny jeans and the, you know, the highlights, they speak with their rock star voice. No, rubbish. Don't heed such people. Be very cautious of the guilt trippers. Be very, very cautious of the guilt trippers because the guilt trippers, guilt tripping in itself is carnal behavior. When a person attempts to take you on a guilt trip, 
You have to look at the fruit. Look at the fruit, then you'll know. Look at the doctrine, test the spirits. You have to understand all these things because, you know, if if the grave soaker, say you have a pastor who's who's in the grave soaking, you know, where, you know, what, what comes out of Redding, California. Hey, guys, let's go grave soaking, you know, and you're like, well, wait a second. And this guy t- t- tries to give you a guilt trip, take you on a guilt trip. Number one, that that very act of the guilt trip is is carnal. But then at the same time, the, the grave soaking, that's unbiblical. That's necromancy. That's an abomination before the Lord. Now, when you test the spirits, you know these things. It's like, well, you know, you can say whatever you want. It's going to go in one ear and out the other if it even makes it in my ear. But then somebody like Paul says, hey, brother, hey, sister, I noticed this. I noticed that. That's a different ballgame. That's somebody who doesn't have a plank in his eye or somebody that doesn't have a plank in her eye. Which the Lord has these people. Understand the Lord is no respecter of persons. No reason. He doesn't care. You're a multi-billionaire. Meaningless to the Lord because he looks at the heart. You're like in ultra poverty. Meaningless to the Lord. He looks at the heart. Sometimes the Lord uses poverty to rock your world. And remember, for the wealthy, it is easier for the camel to enter the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Be diligent and persevere earnestly in prayer. You see, be on watch, stay awake, and always with thanksgiving, as is written in verse 2. Always with thanksgiving. The warrior mindset is, its yes, it's a mindset, but then at the same time, there are applicational aspects to that. Well, okay, if somebody's warrior-minded, then what does the warrior do? You see? It's yes to fight like a warrior, yes to engage like a warrior, but don't forget to pray like one. Being vigilant. In verse 3, Meanwhile, or at the same time, praying for also, praying also for us. You see, you know, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors, your teachers, your elders. Pray for them. This is Paul exhorting the church, the saints in Colossae, you know, pray for us too. Pray for us too. For what he says in verse 3, that God would open to us a door for the world. Now, you see, remember, Paul, when he wrote this letter, he's in prison. But from prison, ministry is happening. He's still exhorting saints. He's still exhorting churches. And at the same time, understand that, yes, Paul is very skilled in the Lord. Remember what what, what, what Peter says? When Peter says, look, these there's these people that twist the word of God, but Paul knows his stuff. Listen to what Paul says. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. And yes, Paul is very skilled in the Lord, which in itself is a gift of the Spirit. Knowledge of the Word of God is a gift of the Spirit. And he has this, he's very skilled in the Word. He has knowledge and understanding. But at the same time, he's fully reliant on God's hand. Fully reliant on God's hand. Because remember, he says in verse 3, he says, you guys pray pray also for us. That God, that God would open to us a door for the world. It's not him being 
tactical in his approaches and him saying, well, you know, I'm a church planter. We live in a time where, you know, church planting ministries happen. They call them church planting ministries. And it's almost like a business class. It's almost identical to, uh, uh, you know, starting a business. Like when somebody goes into business, they create their business plan and they want to attack a market or a segment of society and develop, they develop all these strategies in place for how am I going to go into this market sector and how am I going to, you know, whatever type of marketing, whatever type of branding in order for us to, you know, to, to, to gain uh, a following, gain customers, gain this. And it's all for business. It's always to grow a business. But the exact same thing is found in church planting missions. They call it, they, they, they add Christianese to it. Have you ever talked to one of these people? It's like, you know, well, you know, I'm in ministry. I'm in ministry. Oh, really? what's your ministry, brother? I'm a church planter. The Lord called me to be a church planter. Oh, really? What does that entail? And they start to describe, well, it entails this and this and this. And we broadcast in this area and do all these things. And we have all these people come and we, this is how we attract them. We attract them with this. We have these bands come and this and that. It's like, wow, that's like a business model. That's like a business model in the ways of the world. You don't see that. When you read the book of Acts, you don't see the that type of strategic planning in accordance to the world. You don't see that among these holy men of God. You don't see that. He's asking, he's saying to the saints here, Yes, to pray for us also, that God would open to us a door for the world. You know, scratch the strategies in accordance to man. That's man. The Lord must build the house. The Lord must build the house. And if the Lord doesn't build the house, what in the world are they building? But when the Lord builds it, It's beautiful. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. And I love this because Paul's not, when you read the book of Acts, you don't, you don't see that type of worldly or carnal strategic approach to the so-called church planting. You see church planting in the book of Acts. But when you get down to the nuts and bolts, you do not see human strategy. You see the hand of God. You see God closing doors, opening doors. Remember when, you know, they had the, uh, Paul had a, a vision, the Macedonian call, and they wanted to go up and in, into Asia Minor, and the Holy Spirit was like, no. Go, you know, toward, towards Corinth. Go, go into Macedonia. It's not to say that the, the Lord didn't want those in you know Asia Minor to receive the Lord. That would come in time. But you know, for 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 Paul and how the Lord wanted to use him and those with him for that particular moment. No, not Asia Minor, no, Macedonia. It's very interesting because. You see how the Lord is the one directing the steps, directing the path. We have to put things in perspective here. Because the church planting missions you see today, it's a business model. 
it's a business model, and the Lord has to build his house. You see, remember, like in our studies in the Old Testament, when there's a, an a, a altar built unto the Lord, it's not to, you don't fashion it with, you know, with, with tools. You don't make, you know, you, you don't, you don't cut the rock. You don't cut the rock so it looks nice and neat and perfect. And wow, you know, with carnal eyes, surely this is of the Lord because look, it's perfect. Everything's cut and centered like this and everything's flush and, you know, no bulbous here and bulbous there or, you know, everything's just nice and neat and perfect. Everything's aligned perfectly. This, that, and wow, sure, this is a work unto the Lord. And the Lord says, don't do that. The bulbous over here on this rock, take this pot, you know, build an altar, but you know, take this stone and don't, don't cut it, no nothing. Because that would be man's efforts. Man's efforts. And things unto the Lord. It's not of man. It's not of the carnal nature. It's things of the spirit in accordance to the spirit. And it's so beautiful. When you see it, it is beautiful. And I love that Paul said, because, you know, put yourself in, 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 in the pews of Colossae. Put yourself in the, in the pews of Colossae. And somebody reads a letter and Paul says, you know, uh, be vigilant in prayer. And he says, you know, at the same time in verse 3, meanwhile, praying for us also. It's like, wow, you know, we hear all these exploits that the Lord is doing in you and through you, Paul, and all these beautiful things and this beautiful bubble. And wow, it's so powerful because you guys are doing this. And praise be to the Lord. And he's the guy who says, oh, yeah, pray for us also. That God would open a door for the world. It's like, wow, you mean that I, I can take part in this? We can take part in this, Paul? We're in the pew. We can take part in this? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to see Paul's reliance. Yes, he's very skilled in the Lord, very skilled in knowledge and understanding. But at the same time, he is completely dependent on the Lord. You don't see pride and arrogance. But yet you see koinonia, ecclesia, and episunagage, him and the saints. Remember when he says, you know, that that he could be a, a drink offering on top of them themselves being the offering unto the Lord? And that's what's so beautiful about in a church setting, the relationship between the flock and and the shepherds. How the flock of God is offering unto the Lord. And it's, it's very supernatural. I don't mean like, you know, an offering like, you know, anything carnal. It's very supernatural. Listen to our study through the Old Testament. You know, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you'll understand the depths of this. Because it's not, it's, it's not carnal. It's not religious. It's the depths of relationship unto the Lord. Remember in, in the book of Romans, you know, what, what, what do we do? And Paul says, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. 
And when saints do that unto the Lord, and Paul refers to himself as like a drink offering being poured out on that offering, but then you overlay that with our studies in the Old Testament, our studies in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's like, oh my goodness, this is holy. This is, I don't want to say beyond holy in a sense, I do want to say beyond holy to emphasize how holy it is, but it is holy. It's holy. And how easy it is to lose sight of that when eyes are not on Jesus. Remember, Paul, Peter walked on water. Peter walked on water. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. Remember, you, me, walking by faith, not by sight. We walk on water. But understand that we must keep our eyes on Jesus Christ always. And when he asked these saints in Colossae that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, understand that the mystery of Christ, absolutely, it's a mystery. Absolutely, it's a mystery. It's it's how the word of God is. The word of God is, I mean, you could go to theology school, like seminary or theology, like a, a university, like a, a, some type of theology courses. And more often than not, the word of God is studied as literature. And, you know, you could read the Bible as literature, but you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get the meat and potatoes, so to speak. Remember, the word of God is spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit who knows the heart explains and teaches to the reader. I mean, how many times in the Bible do you see that? You know, let the reader understand. Yes, there is such a thing as the mystery of Christ, and it is absolutely a mystery. The word, that's just how the word of God is. The Lord knows the heart. I mean, I remember reading the Bible as when I was younger. Not all of it, but, you know, a little passage. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I would read like a, like a, maybe a little portion, maybe a little, you know, a little bit bigger portion. And I still, I still want to get it. But today I read it and it's completely different. Because it's the Lord who, who opens our hearts. The word of God is spiritually discerned. Not to suggest that I have attained, attained already, but you and me both, we press forward. We press forward. Understand that the when the mystery is revealed and understood and understood deeply, it's usually in these moments and in these cases where the Lord calls a person into ministry to become pastors and teachers. It's usually in these moments where the Lord says, you know what? I want to use you. I want you to teach the word of God. I want you to teach my word. It's usually in these moments when you have this deep intimacy with the Lord, studying his word and reading his word, and not just studying and reading, studying, reading and obeying and applying these things to your life. 
not being a hearer only, but also a doer. You apply these things and in the course of time. It's how people transition from, uh, from field to worker. From field to worker. Remember, we make this distinction in our study in 1 Corinthians 3. We make the distinction between field and worker or building and worker. It's not to, it's not a bad thing to be in the pews. It's actually a beautiful thing to be in the pews. But the transition from pew to pulpit, and I speak of ministry, to transition from pew to worker or field to worker or building to worker, the Lord does that. The Lord has callings on people's lives. That's how he works. It's not to say, well, you know, I want to feel good about myself. I want to do good for my community. So I think I'm going to be a pastor. No, unless the Lord calls a person, unless the Lord builds the house, they who build do so in vain. The Lord must build. And Paul speaks of his calling when he asked the, the saints in Colossae to pray for him that they would, that the Lord would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ at the end of verse three, for which I am also in chains. For which I am also in chains. Remember, Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. But that's, those are carnal chains. They're much deeper chains. It's chains unto Christ. When I came to the Lord, I thought I was free. I mean, anybody who comes to Christ is free and it's beautiful. But for the longest time, I thought like, you know, like I was chained to Satan. I mean, when I was in the world and I didn't realize this until, you know, the Lord started to open my eyes and I thought I was chained to Satan and I came to Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ and the Lord takes the shackles at my wrist, the shackles at my ankles and chops them, just cuts them off. So now I'm free. I am unshackled. And that's what I used to think. And yes, it is free in Christ. And yes, we are free in Christ. But in the course of time, I came to a discovery. That the Lord didn't cut the binds at my wrist. Nor did he cut the binds at my ankles. He cut, he cut those binds at On Satan's end. So yes, I was free. And yes, you are free. In Christ, you are free. But in the course of time, as with me, you may discover that the Lord didn't break those chains at your wrist, nor did he break those chains at your ankles. He broke those chains on Satan's end. So you're free. No longer shackled to Satan. But one day, you look down and you realize, like, oh my goodness, I have these chains. I've been dragging these chains. I'm free, but I've been dragging these chains. Then you pick up the other end of the chains and you give them to the Lord, your Lord. I know I have this freedom in you, Lord, and thank you for this freedom. But Lord, I am your bondservant. Your will. Not mine. Your will, Lord. And for the longest time, I thought, wow, you know, I'm free. I don't have these these chains at my wrist anymore. These chains at my ankles anymore. I don't have them. 
But they were always there. I was free from Satan and free in Christ. But to look down, see those chains. And have this just like in the Old Testament. You're, you have this freedom. But you've fallen in love, in such deep love with your master. And you say, Lord, master, I know I have this freedom. But not my will, Lord, thy will. You see servanthood in the in the Old Testament. You know, we look at servanthood in the Old Testament. And it's like you read the law and you study the law. It's like, wow, this is a, such a bad thing. To be a slave in Canaan, terrible. To be a slave among the Moabites. To be a slave among the uh, Hittites and Hivites and Jebusites, terrible. But to be a slave in the camp of Israel, not so bad at all. It's not, you know, slavery in perpetuity. And how slaves are treated in the camp of Israel. It's not like how slaves are treated in among the Jebusites and Hittites and Hivites. But to be a slave in the camp of Israel, when the formula is right in the master, it's like, whoa, who is this guy? Who is it? Like, even if you're, even if you're a Hittite, even if you're a Canaanite, and you're taken captive in, in a, a campaign of battle, and you're taken captive in the camp of Israel, and it's like, oh my goodness, now I'm a slave. But then you're a slave, then you start to realize like, wow, this isn't so bad. This is actually quite good. I'm treated fairly. I believe in, I, I had my gods in Canaan, I had this and that, but my master treats me fairly. I believe in his God. His God is greater. I deny those former gods I used to have. Because the God of my master, he is almighty. And in the course of time, in accordance to the law, rules, statutes for freedom. It's like, wow, what kind of slavery is this? But to be so in love with your master, the door is open before you. You can, like, you know, leave, start fresh, you know, join the, uh, I mean, you're in the camp of Israel, but, you know, you're among the Gentiles. Remember, there's rules in the, in, in the law, statutes in the law for Gentiles to be grafted in. And you have this opportunity to, you know, start your life, I mean, independent of your master. But you've fallen in love with him. You love him and he loves you. He's been fair to you. Treated you better than your, 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 your own biological parents, your own biological father. It's like, wow, you know, my own dad never treated me like this. And no, master. No, master, I'm going to stay right here with you. Then you have the rules to become a bondservant. The piercing in the ear. But the same exact thing in accordance to the new covenant. You see? Yes, Paul's in prison at the end of verse 3, for which I'm also in chains. He writes this letter from Roman prison. But that's nothing. 
That's surf, those are surface chains. That's chains of the flesh. There's a different set of chains which, which cannot be seen with carnal eyes. His chains are unto Christ. You see? In verse four, this is his this is his purpose behind even like you know when he mentions these things, it's not like you know oh you know look out you know uh, uh, let's go uh, you know let's go be on a church planting mission, let's go on a church planting mission, let's do this and you know we can have let's go have our branding over here and we'll have our branding over here. We'll make these T-shirts over here and, and branding, branding everything. We'll have these you know free coffee mugs and we'll have this branding, branding, brand. No, that's the world. That's marketing. Paul says, no, pray. When you pray like a warrior, when you're, remember verse two, be vigilant in your prayers with thanksgiving to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, always thankful unto the Lord. Always thankful. You know, where you see unthankfulness, you ever talk with a guy or a gal who never says thank you? They never say thank you. That's a bad sign. They never say thank you. And it's like, wow, does he, does this guy even thank the Lord? Does this gal even thank the Lord? They never say thank you. Like, wow, if he's like that with me, I wonder what he's like with the Lord. That's a bad sign. Because when you have thankfulness unto the Lord, it's beautiful. It keeps our hearts nice and soft before him. Like jello. Remember the jello? We don't want oak. We don't want pine. We want jello in our heart. Be soft. Circumcision. Next step after pine is stone. That's not good. Always with thanksgiving. And Paul says to the saints, when you're a warrior, you have the warrior mindset, and you pray like a warrior, being watchful, pray for us also. That God would open to us. We're not like, you know, church planters like the modern modern days have. You know, oh, church planting, branding here, marketing here, and blast this and blitz this. And, you know, we, you know we'll, we'll get a, 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 you know, a market market data on this area of society and this. It's, it's all business in the ways of Adam. But he's requesting of the saints, pray for us also that it's the Lord who opens the door to to speak the the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, comma, verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That I may make it manifest or rendered apparent as I ought to speak. Translates as, as is necessary to teach and preach. Remember, Old Testament, New Testament. The whole purpose is for people to be right with God. There's specificity to the rules in accordance to each covenant. In accordance to the law, you know, somebody is unclean in accordance to the law. The priesthood, okay, let's get, let's get you cleaned up. This, these are the blueprints by which you get clean. And this is what we're going to do because the priest, I want you clean. You see? Now, if there, if there's anything wrong in the formula, like with Eli and his wicked sons, through, through, because the formula isn't right in them, do you think the people can become clean when the formula isn't right? No. So the people are 
dirty, thinking in, in, when I say dirty, I mean like in like with sin, unclean before the Lord. And they're going to attempt to be, get clean by these dirty guys, the dirty priests. No, it's like, you know, you want to take a shower and you're going to go, you know, take a mud bath. It's like you're dirty and you want to get clean. You're dirty. You go through the mud bath and you're even more dirty. No, it doesn't work that way. You can try, but you're going to be dirty. You're dirty. You need clean water. You see, you need clean water. And the aftermath of being washed with clean water, you are clean. Old Testament, New Testament. When the formula is not right, Eli and, you know, his wicked sons in, in the priesthood. That's not good. That's why the Lord killed them. The Lord took their lives. They had their chance, but, you know, the Lord, they made their choice. Ball was in their court. They made their choice. It's the same in accordance to the new covenant. Saints get, you know, we're in this world. We're not of the world, but we're in this world. And, you know, you're going to get dirty. You know, a level of maturity, the, the, the more like babies, like look at the natural world. You know, babies are dirty. You know, toddlers are dirty. Why? Because they're playing in the mud. You know, they're, they're building mud houses. They're rolling around in the grass. They just get dirty, which, you know, it's understandable. And, you know, parents have to wash them, clean them, you know, they bath, you know, get in the bathtub, you know, we're going to clean you, you know, in some cases, you know, parents, say, Hey, I'm going to hose you down. And then you get in the bathtub. So it's the same concept. But what if in, in a, in a very, in a, in a, in the natural sense, what if the parent is like dirty himself or dirty herself? Hands are full of dirt and mud and all these things. And then the parent is going to like wash the, 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 the two-year-old behind the ears. It's like it's not going to work that way because you're just adding dirt to the dirt. You be clean. So saints, believers in Jesus Christ. Depending on, you know, the, the amount of dirt is, it's directly proportional to maturity. The mature are still going to get dirty, but not like the, not like the babies. I mean, look at, look at the carnality in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 4, 5. Look at the carnality of Corinth, uh, compared to the carnality of Ephesus. It's different. You see, it's different. I mean, yes, there's carnality in Ephesus, but it's nothing like that of Corinth. It was so bad in Corinth that not even the non-believers, they were like, whoa, we don't even do that. And they were straight up heathen. They had their like sex gods and all. And they, even the Corinthians were like, whoa, we don't even do that. A guy was having sex with his dad's wife in the church. There were other things, but that's a biggie. But you don't see that type of sin in Ephesus. You don't see that type of carnality in Ephesus. And so Paul says to the, the believers in Corinth, he says, okay, separate. You're the remnant, separate from the leaven. Your rejoicing isn't good because this is leaven. There's leaven among you. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. So you guys have to separate now. This is the remnant. The leaven is now on the outside. That alone in itself caused such a kerfuffle. I mean, I wonder what the leaven said. 
Oh, Paul's so mean. He's so judgmental. He's supposed to be. Now, he's not judging like condemning to hell. But he's supposed to be. He's taking the plank out of his own eye. He's not a hypocrite. He is tasked. He has a biblical responsibility to shepherd. A responsibility from the Lord. You see? And when we have this understanding, remember, the whole point, Old Testament, New Testament, is for people to be right with the Lord. And there's there's a specific holy way that this happens. A specific Old Testament and New Testament. And it is written that Paul is a pattern. Like Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, Titus, Timothy, patterns. And if Paul is a pattern, as is written, why don't we see more Pauls today? Let's be straight up with ourselves. If the Bible says that the word of God, which became flesh, says that Paul is a pattern for emulation, Why don't we see more Pauls? It's it's deep in implication. Today and even more so down the road. Now we understand why judgment comes first to the church. You'd think it was impossible for judgment to come to the church. You'd think it was impossible. That church should be a safe place. But it isn't. Not all the time. In order for church to be a safe place, there's specificity to what the Lord says. Pastors, this is what the blueprint has to look like. Elders, this is what the blueprint has to look like. Flock, sheep, lamb, this is what the the formula has to look like. The word of God explains this is what sanctuary looks like. This is this is for order in the fellowship. And if Paul is a pattern, why don't we see Paul's today? If Titus and Timothy are patterns, why don't we see Titus and Timothy today? Could it be that we've lost our way? Could it be that the church is more Laodicea than Smyrna? Could it be that the church is more Laodicea than Philadelphia? You see? And that's what's so beautiful about understanding these things. And I don't mean beautiful in terms of like, you know, wow, that's ugly, but it's also beautiful. No, it's ugly, yes. But it's beautiful in terms of having this understanding. Why? so that we can respond accordingly as saints of the Most High. Now, if you're in the pews, respond accordingly. If you're in the pulpits, respond accordingly. It's like, if you've ever been on a like a military deployment, you're on a military deployment, and when you're out at sea, and you're going into a hot zone, and you're out at sea, and you know within the week you're gonna end, you're gonna be in theater. 
you get all these intel reports. You re, you're on the receiving end of intel reports. You have, you know, uh, intelligence officers. They kind of lay things out, you know, and, you know, mo- mostly with the officers. And then the officers break it down to the non-commissioned officers. And the non-commissioned officers, they're the ones that handle business. They, you know, take orders and say, okay, guys, we're going, into, we're going in theater now. Now, when you're in these intelligence briefs, there's this pre-understanding, like a, a preliminary understanding of what the theater looks like. And, you know, there, there's going to be surprises, but you have a general understanding. Okay, this is what the theater looks like. Now, you're not going to get in a paddle boat and go the other direction like, wow, I'm so scared. No, you prepare. It's beautiful to have that understanding. But with the backdrop of that understanding, you've already been previously trained. You're equipped. Now you go to your guys and say, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. This is the situation. This is the mission. And we're engaging. And so when I say that to have this understanding in terms of it's beautiful, yes, there are, you know, like, why don't we see the Pauls? Why don't we see the Timothys? Why is it, why does judgment come first to the church? Why, why, why is it that we, we see that judgment comes first to the church? And why is it the church is more loud to say it than it is Smyrna? Why is it the church is more loud to say it than it is Philadelphia? Well, these things are prophesied to happen. And much like that example of like, okay, we're, we're on a ship and we're going to arrive in country and we're going to hit the beach and storm the beach and, you know, it's on. It's the exact same concept for the remnant to have this prior understanding, not so that we can get in rafts and go the other direction. So we can understand the theater of war, the theater of combat and engage. You see, and fight. Win souls. I love how Paul speaks like this. He doesn't speak like this to in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't speak like this in Galatians. Why? Because, remember, these are our advanced studies, a quasi-6 Corinthians. This is the Colossian saints. More mature. They don't have that carnality that is seen in Galatia or Corinth. Corinth was of the flesh. Galatia was, you know... Spiritual, because there was the 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 pseudo Adelphos, pseudo Adelphos, who were attempting, brought in secretly, like spies, to bring Christians into bondage. How? Through the law. Righteousness through the law, which is impossible, because the seed has already come. You see, if righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Doesn't work. Doesn't fit. When you understand these things, remember, how many times have you been walking with us for a while? How many times in our Old Testament studies do you hear us mention, <clears throat> you know, the whole point is to be right with the Lord, right with the Lord, because sometimes there's a danger behind studying the Old Testament. Remember the, the, the warning, the warning label that came with our study in Leviticus? You know, we're new covenant believers, but yet we're going to study Leviticus. We're new covenant believers, but yet we're going to study Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're going to study these things of the law, understanding that they point to Christ. The, the, the fullness of it is Christ. 
because there's a danger. Because you read passages in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Exodus, and you know, it's, you know, God says this and it's pleasing to the Lord. And, you know, if you do this, then God is going to bless you and all that. Yes, it's absolutely true in accordance to the old covenant. Remember, the, the law was added because of sin, because of trespass. Remember our study in Galatians? Until the seed. And now that this seed is here, to have this understanding that the law points to Christ. He's the only one. The law is fulfilled in him. And the only safety we have is in Christ. You and me abiding in Christ together. Abiding in Christ. Outside of Christ, not good. That's straight up law. Not good. And so we have this understanding, the Colossian saints, more mature than Galatia, or more mature than Corinth as well. The whole purpose is for people to be right with the Lord. And we see here in verse 5, walk in wisdom. Now understand that wisdom comes in time through the study of God's word. And when you study, and as you study, and as you listen, be a sponge. Be a sponge. Soak in all these things. We like to say, make the pages white. Make the pages white. Every letter, every jot, every tittle jumps off these pages into your eyes and boom, right down into your heart and into your mind. Make the pages white. Be a sponge. And Paul says, walk in wisdom in verse 5 toward those who are outside, outside, outside. Remember, this is outside the church. Among non-believers. It's the same camp of whom Paul says it's impossible to avoid. Remember in 1 Corinthians 5? In 1 Corinthians 5 when Paul says, you know, like, you know, I told you to avoid the sexually immoral, but I didn't mean those of the world because if that were the case, you need to get on a rocket ship because it's all around us. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he says in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, I'm talking about a brother. Avoid those named a brother who are involved with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. He says that. Number three years, the saints in Corinth, three years, babies, no growth. The whole time, can you imagine being a new believer and in, you know, five months later, you're still on milk? I mean, you're a new believer and a year later, two years later, you're still on milk? That's not good. That is not good. We need the meat of the word of God. Yes, the milk of the word of God is beautiful. But the meat and potatoes, it's also beautiful. Don't forget. But Paul says, you know, you need to get in a rocket ship. You need to be out of this world. He says, I wasn't talking about the sexual, sexual immoral in the world. He was talking about believers. Believers are handled differently than the world. You see the sexually immoral inside the church? Well, now it begs the question, why are they sexual? And why is there sexual immorality inside the church? I mean, it's carnal. Okay, so let's boil it further. Why is there this carnality? Well, the guy became a believer last week. Okay, so now he needs a teacher. Now he needs to understand these things so that he can make the choice. The choice is his. Ball's in his court. Now he can make the cognizant choice to honor the Lord. 
So a month passes, okay. No, it's no longer an issue. No longer an issue. Two months pass, okay. Three months, okay. No longer an issue. But you see the sexually immoral in the church today. And hireling pastors, chicken pastors, weak pastors, who refuse to do their God-given responsibility, who refuse to do their God-given task, and say, hey, brother, what's up with the sex? Hey, sister, what's up with the sex? This isn't good. This is unbecoming of a Christian. You've been a Christian for how long now? Five years? Ten years? And we're still having these issues? That's when you get into leaven material. I know, I know it sounds harsh. Remember, if you're like a new new believer and you're listening, I mean, praise the Lord that you're a new believer, but you gotta, I mean, th- th- these are, I don't want to say advanced studies. They are advanced studies, but I mean, you'll have a deeper understanding of these advanced studies when you have the prerequisites, which is 1 Corinthians. You'll see it's, it's so beautiful to be a baby Christian, so beautiful, but it is also dangerous. I mean, you know, when I say, if you're like a, a young believer and you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness, like, what, what the, like, you know, the guy's calling this, uh, this lady 11, this guy's calling this guy 11, like, whoa, how can that be? I thought Christians were supposed to be holy. Remember, it's not by osmosis. Now, if you listen to our study, it just so happens on, you know, Wednesday. It's not by osmosis. You don't lay the Bible on your head and by osmosis, it's just, you're holy. No, it, it's the word of God in your heart. But if you're a, a baby believer, you know, sometimes the nature shows, you know, I'll, 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 I'll watch the nature shows and you see like the lions, you know, they look for the gazelle, you know, David Attenborough, David Attenborough, you know, he explains everything, you know, and so he, he says his thing and the, the gazelle are out there and then all of a sudden it's like the cheetah and the cheetah pounces, the cheetah just runs, just darts out and you see all the gazelles, they start to run and almost all the time, the ones that the cheetahs eat, it's the babies, the baby gazelle. Why? Because they're, they're not as fast as the adult. Now you hit the rewind button before baby's dead. You hit the rewind button, no cheetah. The baby's still alive. It's like, okay, baby, let's hurry up and let's get you grown up. Let's hurry up and, you know, look, you have to learn how to run. You have to learn how to dart. You have to learn how to jump and gallop. You have to learn, oh, let's hurry up. Let's give you these nutrients so you can do this because the threat is out there. Now the cheetah comes and, you know, doesn't catch the gazelle. Why? Because the cheetah, the the gazelle has matured, matured. He's strong now. She's strong now so that she can run like the wind. It's the exact same. It's beautiful to be a baby, but it is also very dangerous. You see? Now, remember, Gazelle, in accordance with the faith, in the same example, gazelle can also be shepherds. That transition for gazelle to turn into shepherd or gazelle to turn into uh, 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 like a, a watchman or gazelle to turn into, we'll leave it as shepherd. So cheetah comes, cheetah darts out and shepherd kills cheetah. You see? So, you know, it's, you know, there's that aspect of run away from the cheetah, but then there's the other aspect of, okay, kill the cheetah. Now, this is like 
the beauty of maturing in Christ. Babies are beautiful, but it's dangerous to be a baby. So baby can now, baby gazelle can now grow and mature, get strong legs and, you know, a strong back to, you know, stretch and reach and run like the wind. But then if that gazelle transitions into shepherd the exact same way pew transitions to pulpit, the exact same way uh, field transitions to worker or building transitions into worker in accordance to our study of the first Corinthians three. When that happens, where the gazelle used to, the gazelle was a baby, grew up, matured, and used to run. Now that gazelle is straight up deadly. Now the gazelle can turn around, cheetah comes, and gazelle can kill the cheetah. That's kind of a big metaphor. But that's the gist of what happens. In the faith. But don't forget, when you look at the, the, the variations of formula, like at the Miletus meeting in Acts 20, don't forget that among the shepherds, they can turn into wolves. So it's like, you know, they can transition. So that cheetah or that gazelle can go from, you know, a baby gazelle, grow and mature, turn into shepherd, turn into killer of cheetah. But then that, that gazelle, that shepherd gazelle can also turn into cheetah, a killer of the gazelle. It's, this is serious business. I mean, how beautiful it is for a baby Christian to grow and mature and be nurtured, be nurtured with spiritual food of the Lord from his word by a shepherd. And all of a sudden that baby grows, matures, advances in the faith, advances in knowledge, which is all a gift of the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift is love. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14? How the Spirit works. And then all of a sudden, that young believer who's, who's mature, no longer a baby, mature, and all of a sudden that, that, that believer transitions into worker, becomes an elder. Becomes a pastor. It's like, wow, this is beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. But Satan, who roams around like a lion, every once in a while, just like the nature shows, just like David Attenborough explains, sometimes the lion catches a big wildebeest. The lion catches a big ox. Sometimes. Understand, for an overseer, like the elders in Ephesus at the Miletus meeting, the elders of Ephesus in the Miletus meeting, Acts 20. When Paul says, after my departure, wolf, ravenous wolves will come in among you, and even from among yourselves will be found ravenous wolves. That transition can happen. And that transition will happen at an exponential rate in the last days. It is happening. When pastors start teaching, hey, Christians, once saved, always saved. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Go ahead, go grave soaking. No big deal. Come on, let's go. 
God is done with Israel. The promises of God are no longer to Israel. And Christians follow such people. You see, we make these distinctions to understand, not to get on a high horse at all. There is no high horse for the saint. But to have this understanding to help us understand the battlefield, the nature of combat, the nature of war. Remember, we're on a boat, we're getting our intelligence brief. You see? And we're going in country. We're not going the opposite direction, avoiding danger. We're going to danger. Understand the rules of engagement, the rules of warfare, the formulas, the blueprints for battle, the blueprints for combat, the blueprints, the blueprints to engage. The rules, so, you know, you know, we look at the book of Acts. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember, you know, how many times we would make reference to, you know, the defensive posture, which is beautiful, but then don't forget the offensive posture to go on offense. When the sexually immoral in the church are handled different than the sexually immoral in, in the world, because inside the church, it's like, okay, what are the blueprints for inside the church? What are the blueprints for inside sanctuary of the, the, the church? And when I say sanctuary, I mean the church, the, 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 the structure of church building. Now, when I say that, I, I say the structure of the church building. I'm not advocating for actual brick and mortar. I'm just saying the structure of the church and all the contents inside the formula in the pastor, the formula in the elders, the formula in the pews. The formula has got to be right. But when I say the church structure, that church structure, that could be under a tree. That could be along a creek. That could be by a lake. It could be under a tent, under a bridge. It doesn't have to be brick and mortar. It could be in a house. Home fellowship. The blueprints for inside the house of God are very specific. Yes, there's grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love, but still very specific. And within the confines of Church, understand that there's all kinds of different gazelle. Babies freshly born. Babies who've been around for a while. More mature. Old ones. All kinds of differences. But when the carnal starts to appear, it's the overseers who address that carnality. And it's not like in a hateful, like, hey, you know, if you do this, you know, you're going to burn in hell. No, it's not. It's always loving. Remember, everything, grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, that's that's the way of our faith, the way of the Christian. Everything's loving. But when carnality pops up, and it pops up, and it stays, and it festers, that's not good. That's not good at all. In the case of Corinth, it festered for three years. In the case of some churches, it's festered for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Not good. But that's the formula for inside the church. What's the formula for outside the church? Now the formula doesn't apply to them. The formula applies to you and me because inside the church, there's a specific formula. 
for conduct, you know, like, you know, the, the formula's got to be right in the pastor, elders, you know, worship, the formula's got to be right in the pews, every single grade. Of course, there's babies and mature and, you know, adolescents, you know, old people, different varying levels of maturity in accordance to the spirit. That's the church. But what are the blueprints for the world outside the church? Number one, it's dangerous for them. Why? Because they are outside of Christ. You cannot apply holy rules to those who are outside of Christ. You cannot apply holy blueprints to those who are outside of Christ. But when you are in the world, now we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now when you, when the formula is right in you, and you are now in the world, you're engaging in culture, engaging in society. You cannot apply the holy rules of engagement on them. They cannot apply the holy formula on them, the blueprints on them. No. But it always remains with you. The holy formula. Light in the world. When you have oil for your lamp. You see? And Paul says in verse 5, to walk in wisdom toward, towards, toward those who are outside. Outside. He says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And I love this so much because in the Greek, this is, in the Greek, it is exagorazo kairos. Exagorazo kairos in the Greek. And I'll explain how this translates. In the Greek, it's to go to market and in a short while, to rescue. That's how it translates. Redeeming the time. Exagorazo kairos. is to go to market and in a short while to rescue. Now, remember, this redeeming the time, this phraseology of redeeming the time, it's only said in Ephesus and Colossae. It's not said in Corinth. It's not said in Galatia. It's only said in Ephesus and Colossae. Remember, Ephesus ain't Corinth. Colossae ain't Corinth. It's only said in Redeeming the time, it's only said in Ephesus and Colossae. To the Colossian saints, to the Ephesian saints. Not to Corinth, not to Galatia. I'm going to ask that you extend me a little grace in explaining this. I'm going to ask, beg of you that you extend me a little grace. And in some cases, a lot of grace. For my beautiful sisters in Christ, extend me some mercy too. Say, for example, there's three people in a room. Three people in a room. One is male, and there's two female. And these two females are world, worldly, and all that implies. Now, I speak as a male. This is from the male perspective. This room is has inherent danger behind it it is very dangerous for a baby christian in terms of temptation tactics of satan how satan works how satan you know presents situations and even in the flesh you know how a, a, a young christian 
might obey the flesh in, instead of obeying the spirit. This room where there's three people, one man and two worldly women, one Christian man will say, and two worldly women. And all that, all that's implied. Remember, extend me some grace. You know, in some cases, a lot of grace. And for my beautiful sisters in Christ, uh, add a little sprinkle of mercy as well. Now, this room of three people, it's very dangerous for baby Christians because temptation that happens. This room is very dangerous for young Christians. Not babies, but adolescent Christians, we'll say. This room is dangerous for even mature Christians. And when I say Christians, I'm talking about when the formula is right. If the formula is wrong, if it's another G, remember the last days, Jesus says, you know, that there will be many Christs that are propagated by many false teachers, many false pastors, false prophets. If it's a different Jesus, that room is absolutely dangerous. I mean, if, if you believe in the Jesus that says go grave soaking, if you believe in the Jesus that says, you know, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. If you believe in the Jesus that says in order to come to me, you got to go through Mary. If you believe in the Jesus that says God is done with Israel, you're in trouble. But you figure, well, we covered all bases. We covered the baby Christian. We covered the young Christian, like the, the, the adolescent Christian. We covered the mature Christian. What's left? There's another category. The deadly Christian. The deadly Christian, straight up. The deadly Christian is like Paul, like Titus, like Timothy. Those are deadly men. And I'm, I'm not talking about in accordance to the flesh. How many times, if you've been walking with us for a while, how many times in the study in the book of Acts, you hear say, Paul's not like the average bear. I mean, if we could go back in a time machine, I would, I would desire all of us to be in that bubble. That specific bubble. I mean, I know there's like, you know, James and John, and not to, not, not, not to speak negatively of their bubbles, but you know, like, I want hardcore. I want to be in this specific bubble. You see, okay, you got baby Christians. You got the adolescent Christians. You got the mature Christians. But then let's turn the knob a little bit. In some cases, a lot of it. Let's go to the, like the, the ultimate category. It's the deadly Christians. Now, in that same example, three people in a room, one is male, two are female, two worldly female. For the baby, the the room is no longer dangerous to the deadly man. The room is no longer dangerous, right? Because these these are dead men walking. Remember, Paul is the one who says, it is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. It is, there is safety, but that room is dangerous still, except that room is now dangerous 
to the demons, the spirit realm, because there's a deadly guy in this room. Not deadly according to the flesh, deadly according to the spirit, and the demons know it. Remember the demons? You know, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? That room is dangerous to the demons. See, you take the baby believer. That room is dangerous for him. And this is, remember, there's one man in that room. The, the adolescent Christian, that room is dangerous for him. I shouldn't say danger, a threat, potentially dangerous, but the threat is absolutely there. Dangerous for the baby, uh, dangerous for the adolescent, and uh, a threat, potentially uh, dangerous for the mature. But for the deadly, the deadly Christian who is dead in Christ, is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. He's crucified with Christ. That room is no longer a threat to him. But that room is a threat and dangerous to the demons. Now, false doctrine of Calvinism and Reformed, they call it Reformed theology. But biblically, it's called Reformed theory because it's Reformed theory and also biblically, it has been placed in the scale and found wanting. Calvinism and Reformed theory is wrong. It is unbiblical. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand. The false doctrine of Calvinism and Reformed theory will lead a man to the wrong conclusion. A, a, a man in that, say in that example, there's three people in that room. The Calvinist, the Reformed theory guy could be the man in that room. And see the works of the flesh and say, okay, this is bad fruit. So therefore, in accordance to Calvinism, in accordance to Reformed theory, these people are predestined to hell. These people are predestined to hell. I'm okay. I'm good to go. And that's what happens. I'm okay. These people are, are predestined to hell. I'm of the elect. And, you know, these are predestined to hell. And I'm okay. I'm good to go. You see, there is a danger behind these things which we study, these things that we mentioned about Calvinism and reform theory. There is absolutely a danger behind these things because what happens is that when the theology is wrong, people come up with the wrong conclusions. Now, I'll speak about therapists. Now, just this, not to get off topic too much, but there's a therapist by the name of Adams, J.E. Adams, competent to counsel, supposedly using Christianity in, in to counsel. Every counselor, every therapist, you know, I'm doing my air quotes, Christian therapist, Christian counselor, every single Christian therapist, every single Christian counselor know, probably has this book, competent to counsel. But he's a Calvinist. Reformed theory. And this is what he says, quote, Mr. Adams, in his book, Competent to Counsel, and every single Christian psychologist, Christian therapist, Christian counselor knows of this book, probably has it in their library. And this is what he says, quote, Counselors 
must not tell any unsaved counselee that Christ died for him, for they cannot say that. No man knows except Christ himself who are his elect for whom he died. End quote. That's stupidity. That is not in accordance to sound doctrine from the word of God. A counselor must not tell a counselee that Christ died for him? What? You see? So say, for example, in this room of three people, the guy is going to listen to famed counselor, Mr. Adams, and say, okay, I'm not going to tell these ladies about Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say that Christ died for them. You see, what happens? Now, this room that is dangerous in some ways, dangerous in certain circumstances to the Christian, when the formula is right in the Christian, in the man, now I'm just giving a carnal example. It can be anything. It could be women in a room. It could be drugs in the room. It could be alcohol in the room. I'm just giving the, 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 uh, the example of women. Very carnal example, which is why I say extend me a little grace. And for my sisters, extend, extend me some mercy as well. But when the Christian is deadly, not a baby, not adolescent, has moved past maturity, I mean, is mature, but has moved beyond that to the realm of being straight up deadly, like Paul, Timothy, Titus. Now that room is dangerous in the spirit realm. That room is dangerous to demons. And this, you know, only for the deadly. Remember, in this room, the guy is deadly, okay? We've... We know that the room is dangerous for the baby, the adolescent, the the mature, but for the deadly. Now a conversation can ensue with these carnal women. Well, a beautiful conversation, very beautiful conversation. And in the course of time, it's discovered that their grandmas were Christians. And when you're deadly, straight up qualified to be on deployment, qualified to be on ship and enter the theater of extreme combat, extreme danger, extreme warfare, it's a different way of thinking. And when you're deadly, you know the blueprints, you know the strategies, you know the tactics things that the enemy uses. And when you're deadly, you can win souls. You can win souls without falling. Now, a baby can win souls. The adolescent can win souls. The mature can win souls. But what is the propensity for a fall through the carnal nature? But the deadly is a little different, such as Paul, Titus, and Timothy. Remember, the room is dangerous. But the question is, 
To who? Is the room dangerous to the man? Could be. If the man is deadly, the room is dangerous to the demons. You see? Calvinists would say, Reformed theory guy would say, well, I see the fruit here. Therefore, they're predestined to hell. I'm of the elect. Okay, I'm out. Mr. Adams in his book, Competent to Counsel, says I can't tell them about Jesus Christ. I can't tell them that Jesus Christ died for him, died for these ladies. Okay, I'm out. I'm good to go. I'm Everything's fine and dandy. I'm going to heaven and these guys are going to burn in hell for God's glory. These ladies are going to burn in hell for God's glory. You see? That's what false doctrine does. What hope does it present for those two ladies? Yes, they're in the world. But why? What do you expect from the worldly? What do you expect from the worldly? How can you expect these two ladies in this room and this example? And remember, for my sisters in Christ, I beg that you extend me some grace and mercy. A little bit of love too. <laughs> what do you expect from these carnal women? They might dress a certain way. They might speak a certain way. They might behave a certain way in accordance to the world. But what do you expect? You cannot apply the holy formula, the holy blueprints to the world. The world is under the law, and it is dangerous for them, you see? And you have a conversation, a guy, the deadly guy, we've already stabbed, so, you know, dangerous for the baby, baby, do not enter. Dangerous for the adolescent, adolescent, do not enter. Mature, dangerous, eh, stay home. Remember our warfare, our warfare topic, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, stay home, Deuteronomy 20, you stay home, you're not able to go on deployment. We don't want you in this campaign, not because we don't want you, but you know, you're more of a liability. So go home, get right with the Lord and maybe the next war, maybe the next campaign, maybe the next battle, but that's between you and God. But a guy is deadly. That room is not a danger to him, but the room is dangerous to demons. Now, for my men, my brothers, my beautiful brothers whom I love. I said, you know, extend me a little bit of grace. But now I'm just going to be straight up with you. You have to be honest with yourself. You cannot be a baby. Think you're mature. You cannot be adolescent. Think you're deadly. You cannot be mature and think you're deadly. And enter. If you're going to enter, you better be deadly. You better be deadly. You see? It's... The deadly can win souls. Babies can win souls. But in certain environments, they can also fall. Remember, Satan is a fisherman too. Adolescents can win souls. But certain environments... They might fall. The mature, same thing. They might win souls. 
but they can still fall. The deadly, they will win souls. And when Satan can't get them to fall, Satan will kill them. You see? So let's go back into this room where there's three people. Deadly man and two worldly females. And knowing the blueprints, knowing the, 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 the blueprints of uh, the, the, uh, 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 the, the strategies and tactics, knowing these things, you cannot apply the holy blueprints to these two ladies. They behave a certain way of the world, but what do you expect? You cannot expect holy from the world. In, the, in this beautiful, lovely conversation, and you say, wait a second, how can this be, how can this be beautiful and lovely? Because these women speak like this and look, they have this jargon and how can this be lovely? Because what is happening in the spirit realm is this deadly guy, he's going fishing. He's not behaving worldly. He's going fishing. He's going to catch two fish. And in the course of time, it's discovered that grandma was a Christian. Both of their grandmas were Christians. Now you know, okay? Just like, just like in, in our study in Deuteronomy, how Moses tells the younger generation, tell this to your kids, tell this to your kids. You see that all the time in the old, in the Torah. Tell your kids, tell your kids, tell your kids, tell your kids. Because the knowledge of God, the, the word of God, it passes on generation to generation to generation, not by osmosis. It has to be told. It has to be taught. It has to be instructed. And then you're going to see one generation fails to do that. Then you see the next generation, they grow up without the Lord. So then you find this deadly guy. It finds out that both of their grandmas were Christians. So what, what happened? How is it that you don't believe in Jesus Christ? Well, you know, grandma was a Christian. She'd always tell my mom about Jesus. And, you know, my mom just said, I want nothing to do with that. And, you know, she was raised in the, in the, in the church. And, you know, she was molested by the pastor. And so she was just done with Christianity. And she raised us or the mom raised us. And, you know, we were raised like this. And, you know, she wanted nothing to do with the church because the church hurt her. Now, the deadly Christian, the deadly man, now he's brokenhearted. He is hurt to his core because he knows exactly why those women are the way they are. And in the course of that, that break between grandma and mom and granddaughters, in that lineage, there was a wolf in the pulpit who molested the, the, the mom, or, you know, when she was younger, molested the mom who was, you know, young at the time and wanted nothing to do with Jesus, wanted nothing to do with church, wanted nothing to do with Christianity as a result of the wolf in the pulpit. Because remember, the deadly man, he knows the blueprints. 
He knows the formula. He knows the formula is right in him. He knows the blueprints. He knows the strategies. He knows the tactics. He knows how Satan works. He knows about wolves. He knows how shepherds can turn into wolves. He knows how, you know, a, a, a fresh gazelle turns into, you know, you know, can, needs to learn how to run and gazelle can turn into a shepherd, become a killer of cheetah, killer of lions. But then the gazelle can also train, the shepherd can also transition into a wolf himself. He knows these things. Blueprints set before us in Genesis to Revelation. Now, through conversation, beautiful, beautiful conversation, the women, the two women, they dress very worldly. They speak very worldly. They cuss in a worldly manner, but what do you expect? They are in the world and they are of the world. What do you expect? You cannot expect holy from the world. You cannot and I urge you, do not. Where you can expect holy is in the sanctuary of the church. That's where you can expect holy. Now, where you see carnality in the church, that's dealt with. Pastors and elders biblically need to deal with that. It's their responsibility to deal with that. So, you know, like the behavior of the two women, if you see that inside the church, that needs to be dealt with accordingly. And I don't mean dealt with like, you know, go beat them up. I mean, dealt with like, you know, talk to them. They need to, they need to know. Now, when you see that carnality in the church, it's like Corinth. First Corinthians three, where they're milk drinkers. You see the world among the milk drinkers. You see the world. Why? Because they're on milk. They drink milk. It's not shame on them. I mean, it is to a certain degree, but in that scenario, it's shame on the pastors. Who are the pastors? Kick them out of the pulpit. Because they are unqualified. So a deadly guy who's having a conversation with these two ladies. It is understood and it is revealed that there was a break. A break in the relationship with her. So grandma told them about Jesus. Grandma said all these things about the Lord. But mom wanted nothing to do with it because she was molested. Now you know, okay. There was a wolf. There was a wolf that influenced this decision of mom. And as a result, mom raised up the daughters in the mom. Say they were sisters. You know, it makes it easier. So say the two ladies are sisters. So mom raised up the, the her daughters outside of the church. Now the mom is the first generation outside the church. But she's outside the church because she was a victim. The wolf got to her. You see? And so the deadly guy who's in the room with these two ladies is brokenhearted because he knows what happened. Then he very delicately, very delicately, as, as delicate as he can, he explains to these women what happened. Spiritually. He explains the blue, not maybe not like the depths of it, but he explains that that was never Jesus Christ. What they experienced, that was never Jesus Christ. It was the wolf. And all of a sudden, something happens. Supernaturally with these women. Just like Luke 8, where the seed goes in their ear. It goes into their mind, goes into the heart. Now, these women are worldly. Now, I tell you from experience, when you're in the world, you have tasted of the world 
And it's not, it's not pretty. You taste of the world and it's like, okay, this is okay. You taste of the world again. Okay, this is okay. But you get deeper and deeper. It's like, you know, when you're on crack, you know, I don't So I've heard, you know, but you're always chasing the next high and you never reach it. And you get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into addiction. But that's how the world is. When you're in the world and you taste of the world, it's not good. And so these women, they hear the deadly guy speaking. Remember, he's deadly. But with them, he's soft. Because he, he knows the rules of engagement. He has the, the knowledge of the word of God to explain these. He understands the, the theater of combat. He knows what's happening in the spirit realm. And the Lord is with them. He has the power of the Holy Spirit. This is like the Paul, Timothy, Titus type. Priscilla, Aquila. These are deadly people, straight up. When I say like warrior, I'm not talking about like, you know, a guy who puts on a uniform. I'm talking about, yes, he puts on a uniform, but like, it's in his heart. It's in his veins. He is straight up deadly. She is straight up deadly. I'm talking about straight up warrior class. Now, the guy in the room with the two ladies where it's dangerous for the baby, dangerous for the adolescent Christian, the mature Christian, but for the deadly Christian. Now it's, it's not, it's safe for the ladies. It's safe for the guy, but it is deadly for the demons. You see, it is deadly for, you know, the, the efforts that the, in the spirit realm, the efforts that the demons have the strongholds that the demons have on these women. Now the women were, who are strung out on the world. They tasted of the world. And all that's implied. Be it sex, drugs, rock and roll, I don't know. But they're strung out. They tasted of the world and they don't like it. And then they hear, they listen to this deadly guy. And they hear him speak life. And then these two women. Right there. Right there in that room. They accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See? Now it's a different ballgame. Now it's a different ballgame. Now you have... Two adult females who are rescued from the world. Now they're baby Christians. Now they're brought into sanctuary. Now the rules of the, the, the rules of not engagement, but the, the formula and the blueprints for the church in accordance to the word. Now it applies to them, but very gently because I mean, when you have a baby in your arms, you're, you're gentle with the baby. You're not going to, you know, throw a basketball at the baby's head and you're expecting the baby to catch it. Throw a football at a baby because you expect the baby to catch it. No, you're going to hurt. You're going to injure the baby and you would be stupid. You're very gentle with the baby. But the blueprints outlined in the word of God explain that these women are delicate because they're babies. 
but yet they're on their way to maturing and growing in Christ. Now, if five years later, they're still worldly, you know, that's another ball. That's what, that's leaven material. But leaven is a byproduct of very bad things, mostly as a result of the pastor. I mean, when you look at Corinth and you see the leaven in Corinth, and yes, it was dealt with. How many times in our study in 1 Corinthians? How many times? We said it till I was blue in the face. We said it. Where in the world are the pastors? Where in the world are the elders? Defunct pastors, defunct elders. We said it for our reason. If in five years, these two women are still carnal, yes, it's handled in another way. They're, they're still exemplifying those works of the flesh. It's handled one way. It's handled in, in, in the manner which is outlined in the word of God. But there's heavy blame to the pastors. Heavy, heavy blame to the pastors and elders, the overseers, to the teachers. Why? Because these women behave the way they do because they've never been taught. It's not like, okay, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Okay, cool. Let's go back and do crack. Let's go back and do the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the Buddha, all these. No. No. It doesn't work that way. That's not the blueprints. That's not the formula for war. For combat. And I'm not talking about a guy or a gal who just puts on a uniform and says, okay, look, you know, I'm enlisted. Oh, look, I'm, I'm a warrior. Look, I put on the uniform. I'm a warrior. No, I'm talking about deadly men, deadly women who straight up take names. Metaphysically speaking. And we look at verse 5. We look at verse 5. And that's what redeeming the time is. That's precisely what redeeming the time is. Exagorazo kairos. Redeeming the time. Is to go to market. And in a short while. To rescue. You see. Remember, there's four categories of the last day's church. Four categories of the last day's church. It is either false, it is apostate, it is entering apostasy, or it is true. That's a very dangerous environment. It's a very dangerous environment. And I'm called to teach the remnant. I don't say these things to be crass and to give this you know oh there's this room and look two worldly ladies and you know they behave they speak they dress this way and i don't say these things to be abrasive to your conscience which is why you know there was the warning label where you know extend me some grace a little bit of grace in some cases a lot of grace to my sisters you know some some mercy as well i don't say these things to be abrasive to conscience but we're in the last days. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. I do not need to be descriptive on how bad it's going to be because we see it. But there are blueprints for sanctuary, for saints of inside the church. 
which cannot be applied to the world. And we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But when you're deadly, and I'm speaking about straight up deadly, not, you know, you just put on a uniform like, look, I'm a warrior, look, I'm a warrior. No. You straight up take names. You're a straight up warrior class. And I don't say that in a prideful sense. I don't say that to instill pride and arrogance and be like, wow, look how awesome I am. I mean, look at Paul. He was deadly. Look at Titus. Look at Timothy. They were deadly. Priscilla, Aquila, deadly. Where do you see pride? Where do you see arrogance? You don't see it. And this is where doctrine comes into play. I mean, doctrine is always in play. But when the formula is wrong, man, if you're a Calvinist, the guy's a Calvinist. The guy's a Calvinist where, you know, uh, you can't tell anybody that Christ died for them. You can't tell these ladies that Christ died for them. A Calvinist looks at the fruit and says, well, these are carnal. You look at the fruit of the world. Okay, they're predestined to to hell. And they're going to glorify God by their weeping and gnashing of teeth. In accordance to John Calvin, the teaching of John Calvin. You see? I mean, John Calvin institutes. He says God, a quote, Quote, John Calvin Institutes, quote, God, according to the good pleasure of his will, without any regard to merit, elects those he chooses for sons while he rejects and reprobates others. That's not the God of the Bible who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's... I mean, he can say, he can spell out G-O-D and spell God. But that's his God. That's, that's not the God of the Bible. And yet people create these theories wrapped around these doctrines. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not Calvinist. I am Reformed theory. I align to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Really? The Westminster Confession of Faith? Okay. Westminster Confession of Faith, quote, God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin to the praise of his glorious justice. Wow. These people are going to, they're going to be under weeping and gnashing of teeth, burning in hell, all because of, for the praise of his glory and his glorious justice. Westminster Confession of Faith. These are all theories of men. It is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not willing that any should perish. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John Calvin's God is different. That's a different Jesus. The God of the Bible takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You see? So many times... He goes, oh, you know, you're such a stickler against Calvinism and, and, and Reformed theory. Why is that? You know, you're so mean-spirited. Mean-spirited. In this example, look at the two women. Look at the two women. And to say that 
These two women can never be told that Jesus Christ died for them? Because, yeah, they're worldly. Yeah, they dress a certain way. Yeah, they speak a certain way. They, you know, cuss a lot. They drop all these, you know, cuss word bombs over here, cuss over here. And yeah, they're worldly. But what do you expect? You see, what do you expect? You're saying that Christ did not die for them? The Bible says God so loved the world. God so loved the world. John Calvin's Christ is a different Christ. John Calvin's Christ, the Word of God, is not above that Jesus. That's another Jesus. The kind whom the real Jesus told us about, warned us about. Because in the last days there will be many Christs. Sound doctrine is not just key. When you love the truth, you have to be in sound doctrine. But if you don't love the truth, what does the Bible say? Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Strong delusion that they would believe the lie. It's judgment from God. That's why... How many times do you hear us say, we have the, the garb of the warrior, the, the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the, the sword, but never, ever, ever forget your fishing pole. You see? These days are, you know, if, 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 if we were having this study 50 years ago, we probably wouldn't delve into these certain aspects, but we're in the last days. You must know these things. You must absolutely know these things so that you can maintain yourself in conduct becoming of a Christian. You say, well, that sounds like works-based. No, it's not. It's obedience-based in accordance to the Word of God. And that's, these are things that are said to the Colossian saints. You see, these are things that are said to the Ephesian saints. They're not said to the Corinthians. They're not said to the Galatians. They had their own issues. They were, you remember, that's like preschool, first grade, second grade. That's like lower learning. And I don't mean lower learning to be derogatory. They are prerequisites. This is, you know, Colossians is like the quasi six Corinthians. In terms of growing and having this understanding. In verse 5 when he says walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time. Exagorazo, exagorazo kairos in the Greek. And that's precisely what it is in that example with the three people. The, the deadly guy. Not the baby. Not the adolescent. Not the mature. The straight up deadly. Going into this room with two women. Going into market and in a short while to rescue. That room is dangerous for the demons who have a stronghold on these women. But now, because the deadly guy, yes, he's got his, you know, he's dressed for combat to the tilt. 
you know, everything. He's got fully armored, ready to go, ready to rock and roll. Except he's got a fishing pole. If the women started to behave another way, okay, he's got full arsenal. You see, we have to understand these things. Now all of a sudden these women, they, wow, I've never heard it said that way before. Wow, I didn't understand this. Tell me more about Jesus. The deadly guy explains. The Lord is with them. He has the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. That was in accordance to the dispensation with the book of Acts. That was for 2,000 years ago. The power of the Holy Spirit, that's not for today. People who say that do not have the Holy Spirit. They have religion. But they do not have the Holy Spirit. Because those who have the Holy Spirit would never say such things because they live in the power of the Spirit. See, people who say that the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago, that room is dangerous to them. I mean, they, they are disqualified from even entering that room because they're coming in with, they don't even have the doctrine. They're, I mean, it's church for them isn't safe. There is no safe because they're not abiding in Jesus Christ. They might have religion, but they're not abiding in Christ. If it were 50 years ago, the depths of this study wouldn't cover these things. But in the last days, we have to cover these things. We have to explain these things. Because we're not like, you know, in garrison. We're straight up entering the theater of war. The theater of combat. And it's very dangerous. But we have to understand these things. So that we can engage, go on offense. And that's how redeeming the time translates. It's almost like a, like a process. You enter the marketplace, you know, you go into the world, you meet people. Hey, hi, how you doing? Strike up a conversation. And yes, some people will hate you. <laughs> some people want you. Remember, Satan, uh, Satan is a fisherman. He's going to try and attempt and he's going to attempt to, 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 he's going to, he's going to attempt to tempt. Babies can catch fish, but they have to catch minnows. Adolescents can catch fish, but they have to catch trout. Mature can catch fish, but they have to do like, you know, maybe salmon, sturgeon. But the deadly, they can catch whales. You see? It's a straight-up rescue mission. As Brother Jude says, as through fire. These are people who are like straight-up on their way to hell. And as Brother Jude says, to rescue as through fire. Hating even the garment itself. I mean, have you ever been so disgusted by the things of the world? It's like, wow, you know, like I hate this world so much. Rejoice. It's perfectly okay to hate the garment, the works of the flesh and the, the flesh, the carnal nature. It's good. But what about the soul? 
the soul who's never known about Jesus Christ. I mean, in this example, this room with two women, sisters, you know, they started out as two women, but I found out they were sisters or it was discovered that they were sisters. Now, what do you expect? What do you expect? You cannot expect holiness from the world. Yes, they behave a certain way. They speak a certain, they dress a certain way. But they're estranged from Christ because of the wolf who molested their mom. And as a result of that molestation, you know, she, she became a victim of the wolf. And rightfully so, she ran away because in that, I'm doing my air quotes, so-called church, it was not safe for her. Rightfully so, rightfully so, she ran away. Rightfully so. That church was dangerous for her because of the wolf. And that wolf will burn. Rightfully so. That wolf will burn. Whoever the pastor was should have killed that wolf, metaphysically speaking. But as a result of his failure, look at what happened. You see? These are people who are estranged from Christ, but they're estranged from Christ for a reason. That's why the, the head for the hills mentality. Oh, it's the last days. I'm going to head for the hills. I have a friend who says it all the time, you know, get out of the cities, get out of the cities. People make their choice. Understand that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Now remember, we have to be straight up with ourselves, male or female. You, we, we have to be honest with ourselves. If you're a baby Christian, praise be to the Lord. But certain areas, certain theaters are dangerous for you. Do not enter. If you are an adolescent Christian, praise be unto the Lord. Understand that certain theaters of war are dangerous for you. Do not enter. If you are mature in Christ, understand that, yes, you can enter these other arenas and theaters of war, but there are other ones that are still dangerous for you. But when you're mature and deadly, that's like, that's next level combat. Next level warfare. All of us, yes, redeeming the time. Baby, redeem the time. Adolescent, redeem the time. Mature, deadly, redeem the time. But understand, certain theaters are closed off to you. I mean, you have the choice of having it closed off to you. You can enter, but understand that Satan's a fisherman too. I say don't enter, but you know, the Lord doesn't make robots. I say don't enter, but you have to choose. If you're a baby and you go fishing for whales, you're toast. If you're a baby and you go fishing for sharks, you're toast. I mean, like, you know, you're a baby, you're fishing for whales, the whale's going to take you overboard, you're going to fly overboard, and you're going to drown in the water. You go fishing for sharks, great whales, you're going to catch a shark, the shark's going to take you overboard and eat you. Either way, you die. You choose. It's not to say that you can't go fishing for whales. It's not to say that you can't go fishing for shark. It's just not yet. Because you have to grow. You have to mature. 
You have to go from baby to adolescent to mature to deadly. You see? And that's what redeeming the time is. You see? And base camp? That's church. Base camp? That's church. Go to church. Study the word. Fellowship of the saints. Koinonia. Ecclesia. Bearing one another's burdens. That's church. It's not, I, mean, I say church is not like brick and mortar. It could be under a tree, under a bridge, where two or more are gathered. I mean, remember, church in the last days is under judgment. Judgment comes first to the house of God. That's what redeeming the time is. To go to market and in a short while to rescue. Head for the hills? You don't see that in the Bible. <laughs> everybody, who ran, everybody who headed for the hills, whoever the vessel was says, don't do that. I meant Jonah headed for the hills. His hill was water. And the vessel that the Lord used was a whale. <laughs> yeah, to those who have ears. <laughs> it just so happens that the vessel was a whale. <laughs> Thessalonians, they headed for the hills too. The vessel that the Lord used, Paul, says, hey, no, no, don't do that. I meant first letter. I meant Paul wrote the first letter. We're going to study this in a, you know, in a little bit. We're almost at the Thessalonians, but you know, the first letter. And then the people responded one way and the spirit told Paul, Paul, write a letter. They're heading for the hills. Paul, write a letter, write another letter to them. You see, praise be to the Lord because he teaches us. The head for his mentality. May we all obey the Lord. And so Paul says here in verse 5, or in, 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 in verse uh, 6, let your speech always be with grace, always be with grace, always be in with grace in the greek pantote pantote in the greek that means at all times let your speech pantote at all times not at church oh you speak christianese at church but then you get home and you're dropping you know curse words nope doesn't work that way you go hang out with your friends and you're dropping curse nope doesn't work that way at all times you see let your speech always pantote at all times. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Translates as to be stimulated with prudence and wisdom. Good judgment. Good judgment. Now, this should be found inside the church, but is it? Is it? The answer is no. We don't always find this seasoning with salt in the church, which begs the question, can the church be without salt? Jesus Christ said himself, when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. Church without salt, saints without salt. You see, that's what happens with flavorless salt. 
It gets trampled underfoot by men. And we see this in churches, in homes, in lives. And this is inside the church. I'm not, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. Look at Laodicea. No salt. No salt. No light. No Jesus. And that's the church of Laodicea. No salt. No light. No oil. Probably no grain. If there's grain, a little bit of grain. And no Jesus. You see, Jesus was on the outside. And so we continue. In verse 6, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Every man. I love this. Because Paul knows. Paul knows how to answer every man. Timothy knows how to answer every man. Priscilla, Aquila, they know how to answer every man. Ball was in their court and they passed. Now it's our turn. My turn, your turn. You see? That's what Paul's saying to the saints in Colossae. Look, it's your turn. You let your speech always pantote, 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 which is let your speech at all times, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays when you know you have a fight with the, the spouse, you know, and you're you know cursing and all doesn't work that way. At all times, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one, to answer every man. These are things that the saints in Colossae need to learn. It's your turn. Ball's in your court, Colossae. Colossian saints, ball's in your court. And I say that to you today. Ball's in your court. Let your speech always be with grace. Pantote. Not just on Sundays. All the time. You ever see that? You know, people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and I love the Lord. Oh yeah, all these things. And oh yeah, I listened to a beautiful sermon. Oh, but I got a fight with my wife the other day. And oh my goodness, see, she's such a, you know, and it's like, oh my goodness, why are you, why are you saying this? Or politics, you, know, you talk politics. Oh, I can't stand this and this and that. What happened to Pantote? At all times. That's how salt stays salt. Remember, the four categories of the last day's church. False, apostate, and those are the easy ones to identify. False and apostate. I mean, for some, with maturity, there's become easier to identify don't forget the ones that are entering apostasy on the pathway to apostasy. And these are things, as is prophesied, how the hearts of men are going to weaken. If the heart of men weakens, the heart of mankind, it weakens. You're going to see the rising of the flesh, the rising of the carnal nature. In conjunction with he who now restrains will be lifted out of the way. And you're going to see the rise of the carnal nature inside the church. Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. But you're going to see these things happen inside the church. Which is why you hear us say, jump ship. When you see these things, when you see the false doctrine, when you see the wolf, when you see these things, you got to jump ship. 
Because these are signs of churches that are being flooded. Flooded. And you gotta jump ship. Jump in the ark. Get inside while the door is open. Because the church age is coming to a close. And while this door is open, you come inside. It's not to say like, you know, jump shit because, you know, so you can have hurt feelings and, you know, uh, you have these friends and friends that you've had forever and, you know, and you got to leave these people and yes, they're going to burn and they're going to drown and all these things and, you know, jump ship and you're going to be in a raft and, you know, going aimlessly on the ocean. No. Jump ship, bring your friends. Tell them. We're in the last days. I mean, we're talking, I mean, it's always, it's always been an eternal choice. Heaven, hell, it's always been. But the deception is on the rise so much so that people are inside the church and they think they're safe. And in conjunction with that, he who now restrains will be lifted. In conjunction with that, the rise of the false teacher, the rise of the false prophet who presents other Christs. Do you think, do you think sheep would understand? Or do you think lambs would understand? Sheep might understand. But do you think lambs would understand? Understanding also that Satan knows his time is short and he roams around like a lion waiting for whom he, whom he may devour? Do you see how deadly it is? It's straight up deadly. And so we see here in verse 7, Tychicus, remember Tychicus from our Ephesians 6 study? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister. Now, translates as trustworthy minister. Now, remember, this is Paul saying this. This is Paul saying. When Paul says this about Tychicus, you know, like, okay, this is, this is a deadly guy, Paul, who is, you know, he's not a baby. He's not adolescent. He's mature, but he's like a, the, the, a different category of mature. He's deadly, a vessel of the Lord. I mean, all our vessels of the Lord, depending on how the Lord, remember, the formula is in, then through. Babies can go fishing, but, you know, remember when, when we're going to cover this in the pastoral epistles, you know, don't use novices. Don't, don't be a novice. Don't, don't, for, you know, for pastors and elders, don't choose a novice because, Babies don't understand the deep things. It's not to say the babies can't understand. It's just not yet. They're babies. I mean, you can't expect a baby to do calculus. You see, they have to grow mature and then be able to do calculus. But, you know, young Christians can still be vessels and, and win souls. But it's like minnows, you know, catching little minnows. And as you grow, as you mature, you catch trout, salmon, sturgeon, sharks, tuna, whales, I don't know what's bigger than a whale, but if there is, you know, catch those guys. You know, it, it, it's so powerful because this is Paul saying that he's a faithful minister, Tychicus in verse 7, that he's a, a, a trustworthy minister. 
when a, when a hireling says, this guy's a faithful minister. And I've seen it happen before. Where a pastor, a pastor says, well, you know, we have this pastor, we have this new pastor and just trust him. You know, you know, I've, 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 I've vetted him. So trust him. And the new pastor starts introducing Catholicism. Lent. People have, you know, the ash on their forehead. They start having women pastors, women elders. And the hireling said, trust this guy? Foolishness. And the lamb, the sheep, because they're not Bereans, they don't understand. See, that's why we have to be Bereans. All of us, we have to be Bereans. Learn to make bread, store your oil. We don't say these things for nothing. They're said for a reason. Because remember, last day's church, the four categories. Four categories. I mean, you break it down by percentage. That's 25% each. 25% is false. 25% is apostate. 25% is entering apostasy. And 25% is true. That says 75% are bad places to be. I don't know about you. I'm not a whiz in math, but that's a majority. You see? The warrior class understands these things. We see Paul saying that Tychicus is a faithful minister. Remember, this is Paul's bubble now. Tychicus, a beloved brother, verse 7, faithful minister and fellow servant, translates as co-slave. I love this so much, this wording, fellow servant as co-slave. You see, these are things that cannot be manufactured. A pastor can't mandate, hey, you know, if you want to be a good Christian, you know, you're going to come alongside me and, you know, or you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be an elder, you're going to be a teacher, you're going to, pastor can't mandate that stuff. They try. But unless the Lord build the house, the Lord must build. Cannot be manufactured. Then you see with Paul how the Lord provided a co-slave. Tychicus. Just like the example we gave earlier where, you know, you're shackled. You know, the bond servant. You know, you're shackled and it's like, well, you know, the, the Lord freed me. The, 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 un, you know, he, he broke these chains at my wrist, at my ankles. But as you grow, as you mature... As you become deadly, you're going to look down and realize that those chains are still there. The Lord broke them, but he broke them at Satan's end. And when you become deadly, you take the chains here, Lord. I can go here, I can go there, I can go anywhere, but not my will, your will. Your will, Lord. You are my master. I am your bondservant. That's what's so beautiful about Paul and Tychicus. You see, Paul, a slave unto the Lord, bondservant unto the Lord, and Tychicus, fellow servant, co-slave. You see how the Lord establishes these? It's not manufacturing. You don't see manufacturing at all in the word. I mean, you do see manufacturing, but where you see manufacturing, you also see judgment. 
I mean, look at the manufacturing of Eli and his sons playing the part, playing the role. And the Lord killed them. You see, you do see manufacturing. You see attempted manufacturing. Remember uh, Simon who wanted to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit? You You see manufacturing and attempts to manufacture, but you see how the Lord responds. In the case of Eli and his sons, he killed them. In the case of Simon, no Holy Spirit, no baptism of the Holy Spirit. He had religion without the power of the Holy Spirit. You see how God provides co-slaves? Fellow servant in the Lord, Tychicus in verse 7, the fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about. Remember, there's no social media back then. No metaverse back then. Face to face. Paul, you know, Tychicus is in this bubble. Tychicus goes into Colossae, says, hey, guys, this is what Paul is up to. This is what's going on. This is how the Lord is working. And this is how, you know, he's writing a letter. Yeah, he's in prison, but he's writing letters here. And runners are coming from these churches and oh, everything's beautiful here. And we heard about these saints in, in uh, 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 Macedonia. We heard about these saints in uh, 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 Ephesus. And so pray for them and lift up the saints. And it's like, you know, reporting. This is how Paul is doing. He's okay. Yeah, he's in prison, but you know the Lord is using him. No social media. In verse 8, he says, I am sending him to you for this very purpose or for the same purpose is how it translates. So it's, you know, it's not just anyone, this Tychicus. He's a faithful minister, trustworthy minister, said by Paul. This is Paul saying he's trustworthy. This is Paul saying he's a fellow servant. This is Paul saying he's a co-slave. It's not just anyone. This is one of Paul's kids. You see? And Paul says, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Remember, at this particular junction in time, 62 AD, being a Christian here, deadly. Deadly. Being a Christian here is deadly. Could cost you your life. We have to keep things in proper perspective. And when the environment is deadly, you know what a good approach is? Be deadly. But you have to understand the formula, the blueprints, rules of engagement, tactics. You have to understand all these things. In order to be effective in combat. And I say that, you know, you, you, you hear that and it's like, wow, you know, you got to know all the, all the strategies. But you know, it's the Holy Spirit. Look at how the Holy Spirit guided Paul in this bubble. Look at how the Holy Spirit was speaking to Paul. And everybody was saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit was like, Paul, go to Jerusalem. Paul loved the, his... Those with them, Paul loved those, you know, even apostles. Yes, love brothers, sisters in Christ. Yes. But I have to listen to the Lord. I'm going to Jerusalem. You see? He's not like the average bear. Remember how many times did we say that in our study in the book of Acts? And so we see here in verse 8, I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Verse 9, with Onesimus. Onesimus, Onesimus, pronounced different ways, Onesimus, 
a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So notice a former resident of Colossae. Former resident. He's from, he's, the Colossian saints know this guy, Onesimus. But very interesting is that you see how there's reconciliation in the family of God. It's so beautiful. And we're going to touch on this deeply when we get into our study in Philemon. Philemon, the book of Philemon. Do you remember how last week, in last week's study, how we gave the exhortation to be cautious about the guilt trippers? Oh, you're supposed to be a Christian, therefore you need to do this. You should be a Christian, therefore you should do this. Or look, we're Christians and therefore you should behave like this. Now, you have to look at the fruit, examine the fruit, test the spirits. Because the guilt trippers don't listen to them. They're guilt trippers. I mean, when you see carnality and you see the works of the flesh and you see, okay, this guy's a milk drinker, this lady's a milk drinker, and she's been on milk for 10 years, 20 years. She's been a Christian her whole life and the whole time a milk drinker. And she tries to tell you, you know, take you on a guilt trip in one ear, out the other. But what about when it's not a guilt tripper? What about when it's someone like Paul, Titus, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, Chloe, beautiful Chloe. What about when it's somebody like that? Because what happens in verse 9 with Onesimus? What happens with him is that he's a former resident of Colossae, but he's also a former thief. And when we studied, I mean, read the book of Philemon. We're going to get there eventually. But when you read Philemon, we see how Onesimus committed a sin. He stole. There was this work of the flesh. And rightfully so. What Philemon did in that home fellowship says, hey, you know, look, that's conduct unbecoming of a Christian. That's the work of leaven. Okay, so, you know, I'm sorry, but no, this isn't happening. And what happened is Onesimus supernaturally found his way with Paul and spent some time with Paul. And when you read Philemon, the book of Philemon, Paul is saying to Philemon, Hey, Philemon, this Onesimus guy, welcome him back to your home. Welcome him back to your heart. Welcome him back to your fellowship in your home that meets in your home. Welcome him back. You see, when the guilt trippers, they have the works of the flesh, their doctrine's wrong, they, you know, they don't, they, 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 it's a different Christ, the doctrine's crazy, you see the fruit of the flesh, everything's crazy, you see craziness all over them. It's like, wow, you know, look, there's this, 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 it's like, wow, there's all this chaos with you. What is up? And, you know, you have this doctrine, you have this manner of conduct, and you say you're a Christian, but there's this, all this mess around you. What's up? And when these people give you a guilt trip, well, you know, you're supposed to be a Christian, so why don't you do this? That's also called manipulation. But these guilt trippers, they, you know, usually you don't see meat and potatoes with these people. You see a lot of milk, but you don't see the meat and potatoes. When you see the milk, if they're a baby, that's one thing. 
But if they've been in, a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and they're still on milk, do not heed them. They'll take you on these guilt trips and, oh, the Bible says that you got to do this. So, you know, this Onesimus guy, you know, he's a thief and, you know, bring him back into your home. And, you know, the, the Bible says that you're we're supposed to love. So bring him back into your home. And Onesimus, oh, you know, I spent some time with Onesimus. Onesimus has been hanging out with me. Onesimus has been hanging out with me. And yeah, I've been a Christian for 30 years, but my doctrine's crazy. And, you know, I go grave soaking. And I, I, I believe we could take the mark of the beast and still be saved. And God is done with Israel. But and Onesimus has been with me. So bring, it's the Christian thing to do. Bring him back into your home. He's a thief, but it's the Christian thing to do. You would be the fool to bring in Onesimus. You would be the fool to heed that counsel. I say that as lovingly as I possibly can, but you would be the fool. Because wisdom would say, you look at the fruit, you test the spirits, you understand when you know the blueprints, you know, understand this is what's happening. It's the milk drinker that's trying to give counsel that is in accordance to milk. And it is dangerous. You know, Onesimus has been hanging out with this milk drinker. And Onesimus is going to come. He stole from me. He did. He committed this harm to me. He committed this this bad thing. And he, Onesimus has been hanging out with this person. And this person is saying, you know, bring Onesimus back to my home. You would be the fool to do that. But what if it's Paul? What if Onesimus didn't go to the milk drinker? What if Onesimus caused you this harm, caused you this hurt. And rightfully so, you separated from him. Rightfully so, biblically, everything, everything's on point. Except Onesimus, he didn't go to the milk drinker. He went to Paul. And Paul and Onesimus were together for a couple years, three years. Paul was pouring into Onesimus. And Paul, who's not a milk drinker, he's another class of mature. He's deadly. And Paul writes a letter to you. He says, I know this Onesimus committed this harm, but welcome him back to your heart. It's a little different. That's different from the milk drinker saying, oh yeah, Onesimus, yeah, so what? He did this. No big deal. He did this. He did that. You know, no big deal. Yeah, he caused you this harm. He hurt you. I've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, and I go grave soaking. You know, I take the mark of the beast. He'll be saved. You know, God is done with Israel. You know, I'm tossed to and fro by all kinds of crazy doctrine. I like the crazy love books. I read the unity books, all these things. And look, God is love. I drink milk. I've been drinking milk with Onesimus. We spent, you know, a couple days together. Why don't you welcome back into your house? You would be the fool to heed that counsel. You would be the fool to do follow that counsel and bring Onesimus back to your house because he was a thief. He's going to keep thieving. Maybe even worse. Sin begets more sin. Lawlessness begets more lawlessness. You would be the fool 
But if it's been several years, and Onesimus was with Paul, and Paul is the one, the deadly guy, who's not, he doesn't live. Remember, he says, you know, it is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. And he's the one, you get a letter from him, from Paul. It says, this guy who caused you wrong, welcome him back into your heart. That's a different bone. That's different from the milk drinker saying, hey, you know, welcome Onesimus back. But when Paul says, welcome him back, it's a different ballgame. And that's what's so powerful about understanding the word of God and reading the word of God with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Not as literature, because when you read the Bible as literature, you won't get these things. But when you... When the word of God is revealed, when the mystery is revealed... And you understand the word of God in terms of growing and maturing and the depths of that and all that's implied. And the depths of the lack of that by to learn from example. Remember, these things were written for our admonition. Now you understand the beauty of not just maturing in Christ, but walking in the wisdom of the word of God both inside and outside the church. Outside the church, okay, we have these rules of engagement, understanding the the blueprint for conduct in the world. Redeeming the time. Exagoratso kairos. Remember, we studied that from verse 5. But even for matters inside the church, such as Onesimus and you, You see, with Philemon and Onesimus, Onesimus is an example of a person leaving the safety of Jesus Christ by their behavior and the works of the flesh, leaving the safety, no longer abiding in Christ. And Onesimus, in that state, if he spends time with the milk drinker and a week later the milk drinker is saying, hey, welcome this guy back, welcome him back into your home, you would be stupid to heed that counsel and do that. You would be stupid. And you would reap what you sow if you follow that stupidity. But when it's Paul, who Onesimus was outside of the safety of Christ, but then he was back into the safety of Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about the law. Yes, you know, the law is over only for the person that abides in Christ. And I don't advocate the law in saying that that's the beauty of the law. But there's harshness to the law where you are safe in Christ And then when you leave Christ, I'm not saying when you, but if you were to leave Christ, and I tell you these things from experience, when you leave Christ, you feel the heaviness of the law. Not, it's not like the tap, tap. It's like the straight up, you know, like leather belt. You feel that. And that's the beauty of the law because that pain of chastisement in the law brings you back to Christ. 
The problem is if that pain is ignored. And that's how hearts become harder and harder. Remember, it just so happens we study this on Wednesday when we see the, 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 the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. I don't like talking about and studying these subject matter of disobedience, but do you see how, how not beautiful it is to be cursed in the city, but being cursed in the city is a lot easier than, you know, when the Lord is straight up like, it's like hellfire damnation. And when you, we even said it in our study, it's like, wow, you know, it's a lot, you know, being cursed in this city, a lot easier to just turn around and go right back to where you need to be. Repent, boom, back. Safe. But the further you get away from, you know, the cursed in the city, you know, cursed in the town, cursed in the city, and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then it's straight up like hellfire damnation. But you see that even according to Christ. With Onesimus and Philemon, Philemon, rightfully so, Onesimus was leaven. Leaven and leaven had to be dealt with in accordance to the word of God. Onesimus was cursed in the city, outside of the safety of Christ. And I don't know the, the depths of how far he got away from that safety. He could have been cursed in, you know, the, the, the next town over. I don't know. But he found him. It just so happens that he connected with Paul. Paul poured into him. And along the way, Onesimus made a choice to return to the Lord. He returned to the Lord and he grew in the Lord with Paul. Not with the milk drinker. You, you don't see growth and maturity with the milk drinkers. You see milk. I mean, when you see growth and maturity with the milk drinkers, it's when the formula is right, when they're in a fellowship and uh, with the meat and potatoes people. And the milk drinkers can grow and, you know, no longer be on milk. But when you have the milk drinkers who've been on milk for 20, 30 years, don't heed their counsel. They're milk drinkers. You get to understand Milk drinker, meat eater. You know, you don't heed the milk drinker. You heed the meat and potatoes people. Saints. All saints. But now, okay, now what type of saint? You see, it's like, well, wait a second. I thought we're all equal in Christ. Yes, we're all equal, but we all, we all, balls in everyone's court. We all make our choices. I mean, you look at Corinth. First Corinthians 1, 2, 3, everybody's saints. Chapter 4, everybody's saints. Chapter 5, okay, you guys are all saints, but now we're going to make this distinction between what kind of saint. You know, take this guy, he believes in Jesus, but because of this work of the flesh, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Whoa, that's heavy. Yes, it's heavy. But leaven is leaven for a reason. He made his choice. Ball was in his court. Same way Ball was in Chloe's court. See? Same way Ball's in your court, my court. We make a choice. So powerful because you see Onesimus here. In verse 9, a faithful and beloved brother. Picture that for a moment. Like, Onesimus? What? I thought he was a thief. 
And yet Paul is saying a faithful and beloved brother. That's powerful. Redemption. Reconciliation in the family of God. Who is one of you? They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Now they, remember Paul is sending Tychicus and Onesimus. They will make known to you all things which are happening. Now notice Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother. So he's not like in, he, he was in Paul's bubble, but you know, Paul, you know, like, uh, I wouldn't say he's in a worker capacity. He's in a field building capacity. Worker capacity, that's Tychicus. A beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. Verse 7. Onesimus, faithful brother, or faithful and beloved brother. So it's like, you know, make that distinction. Field and worker. Field and worker. Building and worker. Building and worker. Tychicus, worker. Onesimus, he's got some work left to do. You see? I mean, in terms of dying to himself, carrying his cross, not to suggest that he's not, but that transition from... Uh, from field to worker, that's the Lord. The Lord does that. You see? The Lord does that. That transition from gazelle to shepherd, the Lord does that. This is so powerful because when Onesimus and Tychicus enter country, enter Colossae, now the saints in Colossae, the Colossian saints, now they're going to learn of Paul's happenings. You see, remember, Paul's in a Roman prison, but the Lord is still at work. Powerfully, mightily. The Lord is still at work. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now, notice in Paul's bubble, there's all these people. And, you know, this is uh, Aristarchus was also with Paul in the shipwreck. Remember our study in Acts chapter 27? If you've been walking with us for a while, there was the shipwreck that happened in the book of Acts chapter 27. Aristarchus is there. We see here in verse 10, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom received about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. You see Paul's bubble. We say Paul's bubble, but it's established by the Lord. It's established by the Lord. And it's concerning holy matters and receiving instructions from these men and heeding them. It is safe because they watch out for your souls. Make these distinctions, okay? If a milk drinker is giving you instruction, giving you counsel, don't take it. That's the milk drinker. Not to you know, not to shun the milk drinker. Now, if they're milk drinker for twenty years, okay, there's they shame themselves. But if their milk drinker is a milk drinker because he just became a Christian last month, okay, he's milk drinker because rightfully so. But you make these distinctions, okay? This guy says this, but. Look, 20 years he's been a Christian and he's still on, still on milk. 30 years she's been a Christian and she's still on milk. I'm not going to heed that counsel. We make these distinctions. But when the mature speak, that's a little different. When the deadly speak, it's a little different. When the shepherds who are qualified, male, pastors, elders, always male, when the formula is right with them, they're not babies, they're not adolescent, they're not, they're a different caliber of mature, they're deadly. When they speak, do you know how safe it is for you to heed that counsel? Because they watch out for your soul. 
They don't watch out for your bank account. They don't watch out for, you know, uh, uh, a little scrape on the knee. They watch out for your soul. They're not looking out for your flesh. They look out for your soul. I mean, if you and I were in Corinth and, you know, who are we going to live? We got 10,000 teachers and there's this single guy, Paul. Well, all of these choices before us, do we listen to this? Do we read the crazy love books? We go to the New York Times bestseller, read the crazy love books? Until unity books? We've got all of these teachers. We're going we're gonna to yield to the crazy love people? Or are we going to yield to Paul? You see? Now, it sounds weird in saying that yield to Paul. Well, we yield to the Lord. We yield to the word. Yes, absolutely. But who is a slave to the word? Who is it that is shackled to the word of God? And the word became flesh. Who is it that is a bondservant of the word of God? The Bible, the word of God. Who is it that is a slave to the word? It's a different ballgame. They watch out for your soul. So you and me were in Corinth. It's like, wow, there's a lot of mess going on and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and not pretty. What are we going to do? We got these 10,000 teachers. We got this letter from Paul. Who do we heed? You see? Now we make these distinctions. Okay, this guy, he's got, you know, a million followers on social media. He has his crazy love books, but he's crazy. It is safe for us to heed Paul. Paul says, okay, separate from them. Okay, we separate. Not separate from them because Paul wants to break these relations. I mean, like he desires us to, you know, feel bad. Yes, there's the, he desires to break the relations, but the purpose is entirely different. It's not carnal. Because consecration means consecration. Circumcision means circumcision. And now once that separation happens, okay, let's go to work. Then you get into 1 Corinthians 6. 7, 8, 9, 10, and you get 2 Corinthians. And we're taught these things. And 2 Corinthians, Paul says, okay, the remnant, if they've repented, bring them back in. Welcome that back, welcome them back in. And you see that exhortation, that teaching happened exactly with Philemon and Onesimus. Bring them back in. You see? Reconciliation in the house of God. Always understanding formulas. Formulas gotta be right. In verse 11, and Jesus, who is called justice, uh, uh, justus, justus, you know, Jesus, who is called justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of their circumcision. So they're Jews of the circumcision. You see, I love this closeness and intimacy of heart. Now, understand there's clean minds, the clean minds in Colossae, the clean minds of Paul in this bubble, this entourage, the, the clean minds afford beautiful comfort. I mean, it's revealed that these men, the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, yes, it's revealed that these men are circumcised. You see, and that's what's beautiful about intimacy of hearts in the koinonia, in the ecclesia. Because minds aren't going off into crazy town. 
Minds aren't going off into, you know, like, wow, whoa, 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 these guys are circumcised. And then all of a sudden, the people's minds go off into crazy town. It's to understand, remember that those of the fleshly circumcision are a threat. Are a threat. Because that's the law. Remember the Judaizers? Even former Pharisees who became Christians, except they didn't deny their prior dogmas and so what happened is they started to compel christians if you want to be a christian okay all the males will be circumcised and will follow moses and that was happening inside the church and so when paul says that yes these men are of the circumcision it's revealed that yes these men are circumcised they're jews except they're christians and in christ there's no jew nor gentile Slave, free, rich, poor, male, female, and that is only in Christ. And it's beautiful. Because in accordance to the flesh, circumcision pose a threat. But not everybody. I mean, of the pseudodelphos, compulsion into the law. That was a threat. Remember our study in Galatians? That was a threat to the saints. But Paul was circumcised. Timothy was circumcised. They're circumcised according to the flesh. But there's absolutely no threat to them. And I love this because rather than the Colossian saints avoiding the circumcision for good like just flat out altogether okay you know i'm i'm avoiding everybody of the circumcision the jews i'm avoiding them completely no they see that even among them even among the circumcision is they're they're even they are fish themselves arguably more like whales because they're of the circumcision you see? And it's it's powerful. I mean, when you're deadly, when you're deadly, just like the example with the, the room with, you know, the, the guy and two gals. When you're deadly, yeah, you can catch minnows. You can catch whales. And it's not to boast in that. And you have this understanding in accordance to the word. You have this understanding used as a vessel. You have this understanding with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is at work. Remember, the cost of being a Christian here is very dangerous for the Colossian saints. And yet the Lord is at work. Specific conduct. Manner of living in accordance to the faith. And not to avoid the Jews altogether. Like, okay, all everybody of the circumcision, I'm just going to avoid. No, understand that, you know, Paul was circumcised. He was of the circumcision. But because of Christ and through Christ, the better circumcision of the heart. You see? 
Now we see these in verse 11, these the, 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 the only fellow workers of the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, they have proved to be a comfort to me. How beautiful is this? Because we see how the, remember in our study in the book of Acts, how the Jews would chase the religious leaders, the Jews, they would chase Paul, the religious leaders, the Kohanim, the Levites, they would, they would chase Paul, trying to kill him and trap him. You see? And for justice, Jesus, who is called justice, Aristarchus, only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and they're a comfort to Paul. You see? It's so beautiful. When we see this intimacy, this level of intimacy among the ecclesia, koinonia, episunagage, it's deep. It's not like, you know, social club. It's deeper. It's it's family is deeper than blood, biological blood. It's deeper than blood, but it's the blood of our Lord. It's family. He says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you? Now, Epaphras, we studied in chapter 1, the fire that happened in Colossae, the fire of the Spirit, probably may have started with him, Epaphras. A bondservant of Christ greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. You see, I love this. Always laboring fervently is to contend, to fight and labor fervently for you in prayers. Prayers. Just like we studied in the previous verses. Everyone has an idea of what the work of the Lord is. But when you study scripture, you realize that even fervently praying for saints is a work unto the Lord. I don't care if you're old, disabled. Prayer unto the Lord. Just like Epaphras. Always laboring fervently for you. How? In prayers. You see? You might be in a wheelchair. You believe in Jesus Christ. You're in a wheelchair. You're like, wow, I can't. You know, the, the Lord is calling me to work in the ministry. I don't know how to work in the ministry. Pray. Labor fervently in prayer. Pray for the saints. Pray for the remnant. These days are evil. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. He says that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. How beautiful is Epaphras? How the Lord has worked and is working in Epaphras. Laboring fervently. Fighting fervently, contending fervently in prayer and through prayer that the saints in Colossae may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Pastors, elders, it's not just standing up in the pulpit on Sunday and teaching. Pray. Monday, pray. Tuesday, pray. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pray, always in prayer. And pray for the saints, pray for the flock, pray for the lambs, pray for the sheep. Wolves don't do that. Wolves pray except P-R-E-Y. They pray on the sheep. And wolves must be killed. Metaphysically speaking, shepherds kill wolves. Metaphysically. Wolves are dealt with accordingly. 
Wolves pray. P-R-E-Y. Shepherds pray. P-R-A-Y. Just like Epaphras. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. What does he pray? That the saints in Colossae, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Pray for the saints. Not just pastors and elders. Everybody pray for the saints just like Epaphras. But sometimes pastors and elders, they just think, okay, you know, I'm an elder. I get to park in the elder parking spot. I'm a pastor. I get to park in the pastor's parking spot. And look, I'm going to download this sermon. It's like a script. I'm going to, you know, pay my monthly fee and log into this website and download this script and it's topical. And I think I'm going to teach about sorrow and I download this message that's, you know, already, you know, different versions of it. And I'm going to download it and it reads like a script. It tells the so-called pastor, I'm doing my air quotes, most likely a, a, a hireling for sure, but possibly even a wolf. And the so-called pastor, I'm doing my air quotes, has his script that he reads. Tells him, you know, line breaks, when to break, when to laugh, when to tell a joke, what the joke is, when to smile. It reads exactly like a script, like he's acting. Like if you see like a, the script for a movie part, you know, the, the actual, like when they're, when they're practicing, everybody's got a sheet of paper in front of them and they're like acting things out and they're like learning and memorizing. He'll look down, you know, the actor will look down and say his part, you know. The lady will look down, read her part. And then the script says, like in parentheses, smile, laugh, you know, and then it'll say like, you know, say this. And then there's a little break and it says, okay, cough here. There's a break, continue. Okay, say this now. And that's what these, that's what these sermons are like. The so-called pastor downloads it from the web. Reads the script. Never praying for the saints. Yeah, he's, he's got the pastor parking spot. He's got the title pastor, but the Lord didn't build that. You see? It's gonna get worse. This is just, this is nothing. We're like this is we're like this is a walk in the park. When the, the false prophet, the beast from the earth, he's gonna bring fire down from heaven. It is prophesied. The world will adore him, and in the world adoring him, he's gonna say, "Okay, you know, the the, the antichrist is our leader." I mean, he's not gonna say it like that. He's gonna say, "There's this man of peace. He's a you know the world leader." But the remnant will know. That's that's the false prophet. That's the that's the antichrist. The remnant will know. The deception. We haven't even. We're not even near. We're like in the very early stages of deception, and look how bad it is already. But I love Epaphras so much. Laboring fervently in prayer, you see, and not prayer for him. I mean, I'm sure he has his own prayers, you know, making his prayer and supplication though known to the Lord. But he says that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Remember, the, influenced by Paul in Paul's bubble, Epaphras. That's what's so beautiful about these holy men, 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 elders, pastors, always male. Coverings, always male. Old Testament, New Testament, covering, always male. 
Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. You see what can happen when the Lord changes a heart? It's not just Epaphras who labors fervently for the saints in prayer that they may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. But he has in verse 13, great zeal. Huh? Why? Look at Paul. Look at the zeal. Look at how he sincerely cares for the saints who, before he came to Christ, he would have killed. You see how the Lord can change hearts, minds, for his glory? Verse 13, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. In verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now, Demas, not so good. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. You say, wait a second, Demas is in Paul's bubble. Yes, Demas is in Paul's bubble. Five years later from this point, five years later, Timothy's a pastor at this point. Paul writes a second letter to Pastor Timothy. Pastor Paul writes a second letter to Pastor Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, after being in Paul's bubble, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, abandoned and left me. That's what Paul says of Demas. Why? Because Demas had much love for the present world, not paradise. Much love for the present world. You see, it is written that Damas journeys to Thessalonica, the land of opportunity. Remember, how many times do we reference Luke 8 and the seed, which is the word of God? And how seed can land on rock and thorns. And it's always always poses a threat. The love of the world. You see? Always poses a threat. Or, you can be the threat. Like Paul, like Titus, like Timothy, like Priscilla, like Aquila. All these, all these threats that surround us as Christians... It meant sex, drugs, rock and roll, things of the world, the flesh, all these demons, all these things which are threats. Or you can be a threat. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about baby girl? How parents, you know, oh, we got to train. I'm so worried about baby girl. I'm so worried about baby girl. She's so young and she's so beautiful right now. And I want, I don't want her to ever leave this house. I want her to stay with me till she's 50 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm not a liberal, but I'm just going to act like a liberal. You know, instead of leaving at age 18, she's going to leave never. She'll be 50 and stay with me forever. Because I'm so afraid of those. The world is so dangerous. And I'm so afraid of baby girl getting harmed. Now, parents that do that, they bring harm to baby girl. What's better is to train baby girl so baby girl is deadly. You see? Yes, these threats surround us. What about when you are the threat? You see? Just like that room with three people. 
The man who entered that room was straight up deadly. Probably, you know, looked like a nice guy, average Joe. On the outside. But on the inside, he's not like the average bear. He was deadly. Very gentle with the two women. Deadly to the demons. And won two souls to Christ. You see? Demas didn't work out so well for him. Abandoned and left Paul. Forsaken Paul. Demas has forsaken me. Within within the span of five years. Had a nice run, Demas. But it didn't end so well for him. And that's what's so powerful because we keep our eyes on Christ. Look at Peter when he was walking on water. He had his eyes on Christ and was walking on straight up water. He takes his eyes eyes off Christ and looks at the water. Boom, he started to sink. You, me, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. That's the way of the remnant. Eyes on Christ. Eyes on paradise. Eyes on Zion. Focused. In the world, but not of the world. We got the blueprints for church. We got the blueprints for conduct in the world. We can't apply holy blueprints to the world because it's the world. But there can be holy blueprints inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, which is, yes, we're in the world, but we bring every thought to the captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. These are the blueprints for the Christian, for the saint, for the remnant. When the world is dirty and filthy. Redeeming the times. Redeeming the time. You see? Head for the hills. I don't think so. Verse 15 in closing. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. You see, home fellowship, beautiful, beautiful home fellowships. Me personally, I believe the last day's church model is the home fellowship. People say, well, you don't see the word church after in Revelation 4 and beyond. You don't see the word church. Therefore, the church is raptured. Well, pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. Listen to our study. Two studies. It's called uh, Jacob's Trouble, Biblically Explained, and uh, uh, When is the Rapture? And then there's another one called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. You listen to those three studies. You'll understand. Pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. Understand that the church is under judgment. At that time, you know, why Why is it that the word church is in Revelation after chapter 4 to the church and therefore the church is raptured? Wrong. The church is under judgment. Judgment comes first to the house of God. But you see saints. You see saints after chapter 4. You see saints. Oh, but those are tribulation saints. What? How can they be tribulation saints? Oh, the tribulation is for the entire seven years. That's not what the Bible says. Tribulation is three and a half years. Listen to those studies that we referenced. 
You'll understand. You see saints after chapter 4 Revelation. You know why? It's the remnant. It's the remnant. People who have learned to make bread and have stored their oil when lamps are going out like crazy and their lamps are burning bright. Exactly like Goshen in Egypt. You see? Verse 16. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. This is so beautiful because, you know, Paul, he writes a letter. Remember, he's in prison. He's sending these letters like crazy. You know, he gives a message to the Laodiceans and he says, okay, Laodiceans, share this message with the Colossians. Colossians, okay, listen to this message over here. Laodiceans, listen to this message over here. You know, read it, you know, have the reader read it and, you know, and everybody else listen. Listen to this message over here. Listen to this message over here. It's good for you. It will help you. Have this understanding. You see? In verse 17, and say to Archippus. Now, Archippus is when you... He's in the fellowship of Philemon, is that that home fellowship, and he's you know this is like Archippus is in transition, like transition into ministry. It, it sounds dangerous to say that now. He's in transition, but it's like transition into ministry, like field to worker, field to worker, like uh, uh, like uh, uh, like. Uh, deacon to pastor, deacon to elder, you know, that, that transition when you're in the field, like you're, 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 you're a believer, you're in the field and you have to understand our study in first Corinthians three, because remember we make the distinction between field and worker. And Paul says of the field, you know, you are God's building. You are God's field. You are God's building. We, the workers were the scum of the world. That's what Paul says. We're like trash, the scum of the earth. That's what Paul says of himself. What does that say to his, you know, people say, oh yeah, Paul exalts himself. What? He calls himself trash. Paul says, you are the, you are the building, we are the workers. And when you read the entirety, listen to our study, read the chapter, it's like, whoa, you know, he, like, he says he's the scum of the world. And it's beautiful to be in the building, in the field of God, but... To transition from field to worker, the work that the Lord does, and that is something that Archippus is undergoing in verse 17. Remember, Colossae, this isn't Corinth. Colossae isn't Galatia. The What comes out of Colossae, like the next step of growth from Colossae is like straight up pastor material, elder material, ministry material. The next step of growth from Colossae is ministry material and say to archippus in verse 17 take heed which is a military term it's to perceive and observe it's almost like observing a battlefield that observation and he says take heed to the ministry which you have received in the lord take heed and understand what god is doing and you know to say this to archippus archippus understand what god is doing 
And take heed and observe what the Lord is doing and what the Lord desires to do through you. You know what's so powerful? When, when you know the formula is in, then through, in, then through, in, then through. The Lord does the work in you and then he does the work through you. Now, he does the work in you. That can take 11 days. It can take 40 years. He does the work through you. That can take 11 days. It can take 40 years. Can't be a novice. I, I speak kind of metaphorically in saying that. Hearkening to our study in numbers. Balls in your court. The level of obedience that one gives unto the Lord, that's between you and the Lord. That's balls in your court. Nobody can make that choice for you, only you. The level of obedience that you give sacrificially unto the Lord, that's between you and Him. Nobody can command it. Nobody can force you. Nobody can compel. Balls in your court. But you see the fruit of it too. You see the milk drinkers for 10, 20, 30 years. And you see the meat and potatoes people. Sometimes you have a 55-year-old who, spiritually speaking, is like, you know, a a, a two-week-old baby. And then you have a 15-year-old who's like an 80-year-old in maturity in Christ. You see, more mature in the 15-year-old than you have in the 55-year-old. Because one is maturity in the flesh, but the other is mature, more mature in the spirit. And to Archippus, Paul says, Listen, take heed to the ministry with which you have received in the Lord. Understand, Archippus, that the Lord desires to do this work through you now and understand what the Lord is doing and what he desires to do. But the ball's in your court, Archippus. You have a choice to make. Verse 17, he says that you may fulfill it, that you may accomplish it. You see, now Satan, Satan will fight tooth and nail to prevent the fulfillment of God's calling in a person's life. He will fight tooth and nail. Archippus, when it is revealed what the Lord desires to do through a person such as Archippus, Satan, he pulls out all the stops. He will fight tooth and nail to prevent that from happening. Which is why Paul is saying, listen, understand and perceive, take heed, observe what the Lord is doing, what he desires to do in you and through you, to use you in ministry, that you can be used of the Lord for his purpose, for his glory. But even still, the ball's in the court of Archippus. You see? It's... Archippus needs to understand what is happening. See the battlefield and see the battle plan and understand that Satan is going to throw the kitchen sink at him. But even still, Archippus, fulfill your calling. Maybe for you. Understand what the Lord desires to do in you. Balls in your court. Now, in the course of time, You respond in a manner that glorifies the Lord, in a manner that is obedient unto the Lord. In the course of time, as you grow, as you you go from baby to adolescent to mature to even deadly, now comes 
a call to ministry. Now, what do, what does that ministry look like? What does that entail? Well, it could be several things. That's that's between you and the Lord. But also understand that when that is revealed, Satan, you got a big crosshair all over you. Crosshairs. Satan wants to kill you. You see? That's what happens. Those are the blueprints. It's war. I mean, people say, you know, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. Well, the, the only way I tell you from experience and I tell you the truth, the only way you're going to go to church and feel good about yourself, if the formula is right, if you're going to a godly church, the only way is when you are obedient. That's the only way. And I tell you from experience because, you know, 20 some years ago, I would go into church filthy and and, and I'd feel like I was on fire, like somebody lit a fire under my chair. You know why? Because I was disobedient to the Lord. I was in church. I had a Bible on my lap, but I was disobedient to the Lord and the Lord knew it. The conviction of the Holy Spirit and through repentance and through restoration, I'd go to church. No more fire. All of a sudden, I started to feel good. I was like, wow, this is, I like this. This is beautiful now. But how you feel in church, not that we follow feelers, you know, not that we are led by our feelings. But, you know, I've heard the argument before and it was posed to me. I want to go to church and feel good about myself. Well, if you're in sin, you're going to go to church you're not going to feel good. If you're in sin and you go to church and you feel good about yourself, jump ship. That's a bad church. If you're in sin and you feel terrible when you go to church, you know, rejoice. Because that's the conviction of the Spirit. You see? And then there's the correction. Now, balls in your court. You repent. And in the course of time, it's like, wow, you know, you're going to feel good in church. Why? Not because you're listening to like, you know, uh, the the touchy-feely message. Because the Holy Spirit is, he's done his job. Helping you align to the word of God. You see? Now the Holy Spirit helps you and me align to the word of God. Another spirit, you want to go grave soaking and soak up the spirit that's in dead people? That spirit will lead you away from the word of God. The Spirit of the Lord always leads to the Word of God. The Word became flesh. The Spirit of Christ always leads to Christ. You see? The Spirit of another Christ always leads to Satan. Always. That's the blueprints. That's the formula. You see? When we say Satan, you know, when the Lord has a a calling on your life to do a work Yes, in you, but now through you, through maturity, Satan, he pulls out all the stops. He'll take friends away from you. You have a choice in those moments. Yes, I love my friends, but I love Jesus more. Family, yes, I love my family, but I love Jesus more. Close friends, brothers and sisters, Yes, I love my family. I love my brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents. I love them, but I love Jesus more. 
you're going to become seemingly lonely. Alone. But you're not alone. It's intimacy, oneness with Christ. And when you're deadly, a threat to Satan, a threat to the demons, now they say, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to kill this gal. And even then, yeah, I had my run, but I love the Lord more. Here, take my head. I don't want it. You see? Demas, it didn't end so well for him. He loved the world. Archippus, balls in your court. The same thing applies to all of us. Balls in our court. The word goes forth, we respond. It's beautiful. And don't forget, the Lord responds to our response in this beautiful relationship with him and unto him for his glory. In closing, verse 18, this salutation by my own hand, Paul. Man, no scribes. Some letters were written by scribes. So like, you know, he, you know, he would say something like, like dictation. You know, he would say something and the writer would write it down. But this is by his own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. I love this. Paul is such a beautiful pattern. His chains are unto Christ. Yes, there's, you know, a freedom that was allotted to Paul, but Paul said, no, I'm a bondservant. You see? And maybe it's the same with you. Where you have this immense freedom in Christ, and praise be to the Lord. But you look down and you still see chains. Give them to Christ. Co-servant. Co-slave. Bond servants unto Christ. It is in this manner we fight the good fight of faith. Paul says in closing, Grace be with you. Amen. And I'll add, Selah. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.